Advance After Combat. This is Advance After Combat. It's a wargaming podcast where we talk about war games and our experience playing those games. Uh, I'm going to warn you, uh, this is an explicit podcast. I'm also going to warn you that I will say, uh, about 70,000 times during this recording. Uh, more importantly, this is a more serious warning. There is definitely going to be some horsing around. <laughs> Just. I hope so. Buyer beware. Because I know you guys have spent a lot of money and invested a lot of money in this podcast. There's going to be some horsing around. So, uh, this is a podcast brought to you by myself, Dave, and Jason. Hello. And our mystery guest, who this episode is Mitch. Howdy. Now, Mitch, do you prefer to go by Mitch or Mitchell? Uh, Mitch usually, but it doesn't really matter. Okay. So, uh, just, just to let everybody know, Mitch is the famous Mitchell Land. Indeed. The designer of the game Next War Korea. A GMT product. I think you meant infamous, Dave. Oh, well, you can, I think you can be infamous and famous. Hmm. Uh, so, Mitch is also a member of the guild, uh, which is, is incredible that he would actually hmm. belong to the guild. Um, and, uh, so we selected him. We thought he'd be a good guy to, to get on the podcast and talk about some stuff. So, uh, basically, Mitch, you want to say anything real quick to introduce yourself before we start asking you questions? Yeah, you know, I mean, you kind of covered it. I, I've been playing games for a long time. Glad to be in the guild. Actually, you know, it's kind of funny. I used to, so I'm kind of a geek, right? And I, we've noticed. Of, yeah, I spent a lot of time online. And so this is gonna, this is gonna totally geek you out. But when I go to my browser, I used to go to Constant World first and then Board Game Geek. Now I go to Board Game Geek and check all the AAC posts first and then I go to Constant World. So that's, yeah. that's where it's at. Wow. But only for the guild. You're not going. Oh, well, naturally. And well, you go to answer the questions of Next War Korea. Right. I was just going to say, I do have to answer those questions. Because yeah. there's a ton of questions about that game. Mm-hmm. And that's Everyone how you guys met, right? <laughs> yeah. No, that's how, that's how I actually first got to know Mitch, because I was playing Next War Korea, and Mitch is very uh, responsive when you have questions about the game. And then later on, he joined the guild, and the, later on after that, I met him at GMT West. And then one late night, I drove him home. <laughs> God, that was so late, too. <laughs> it was meant to be. Yes, I, I'm a gentleman. Yeah. Uh, he so this is the July podcast, and I'm kind of excited because uh, I'm glad to get the podcast out because we didn't do a podcast for June. So I was going to say, it feels like it's been a really long time, and I wasn't yeah. sure if it just felt that way or if it really had been. No, I felt bad because we did the May podcast. We kind of skipped June. And uh, so it's been two months, and now we have our July podcast. So, and uh, oh, we would apologize, but that's not really our style. So. Yeah, I mean, I I thought we were going to get together with Jeff and do the June podcast, but I guess it never happened. So, uh, at least I don't recall that we got on the internet and talked. <laughs> if you did, no it wasn't recorded. I have no recollection of that event. Uh, don't know why. So um, let's let's talk to Mitch real quick. Uh, Mitch, what was your first war game? My first war game? I probably started probably like a lot of people with like Risk or Axis Allies, which I will count as a war game. I mean, you know, you move pieces around, you have combat, so um, and then quickly grew from there. And I think the first real quote unquote war game I bought was Sixth Fleet. Nice. And I fell in love with that series. And I have all of them. So. 
So would you consider that your favorite war game other than a war game you you designed? No, actually no. I mean, so it's kind of hard when you talk about favorite in games, right? Because every last one I'm down there is kind of my favorite. But, um, yeah, my go-to games lately have been the Battles of the Age of Reason and uh, Thunder Alley, actually. But <laughs> that's not really war. That's not a war game. You know, I have that game. Oh, I still you haven't have played it with me yet, but yeah. I, I haven't opened Thunder Alley yet. <gasps> I'm not a racing guy. I gotta say, I played it at Consum World, and, uh, I don't know, I don't know. Why did you pre-order it? Cause Mitch was raving about it. Oh. Mitch did it to me. It is. He said something like, he said something like, if you don't pre-order this, you're crazy. I'm like, done. Okay. (laughs) Guild payback. It's an awesome party game. If you're, if you're three sheets to the wind and you're pushing cars around that track and you're having a blast then that's that's kind of where it's at right i mean it's so much fun you got to have a you got to have at least five or six people playing though and a working right. knowledge of what the symbols on the cards mean right. sure but or, i mean jason's sitting next to me yeah. every single time i have a card what does this one do again <laughs> there's one symbol on the card it's a fucking arrow <laughs> yeah but they're, they're different colors <laughs> it's a or behind or both but, yeah, it, you know, it's it, funny. It's, it's one of the few racing games you can play like a war game because it's all about screw the guy. Yeah, next it's all to maneuvering. You. Right. You bump him out of the line and all of a sudden he's, he was in first and now he's in last. Well, first of all, they made me be the pink cars and yeah. they thought that was really hilarious. I had trouble getting the, the strat, I guess I just had trouble getting the strategy, you know. I don't know. Sometimes games, it, it's, sometimes games either click with me strategy wise or they don't and I just had trouble with it. I, I didn't finish last, but. That's the secret, there is no strategy. Oh, there you go. That's it. Oh, that hurts my brain. So Mitch, you're from Missouri. I am. Now, uh, this is my own observation. Well, I have to have a soft, soft spot, I have a soft spot for Missourians since my <laughs> family also hails from Missouri. Um, and I wondered if you had noticed this. Have you ever noticed that when you see a picture of, of guys from Missouri, there's like a 50% rule where at least half of the people in the picture have to be wearing Cardinals or Mizzou gear? <laughs> well, yeah, well, half the people in Missouri go to Mizzou, so. But, I mean, it's kind of like very bizarre. You won't see a picture of, of like, if you see a picture of 20 Missourians, yep. they wear tons of Mizzou and Cardinal stuff. Yep, it's either black and gold or red. Yeah, it's really strange. Just... Right. It's a huge baseball town. Huge baseball town. Right. Well, and have, hey, I, I really admired your guys Wainwright, guy Wainwright's job at the All Star game. That was really cool. That was awesome. That was good. Yeah, to throw a throw a big pipe ball to uh, Jeter and then tell the press about it so Jeter could feel like a douchebag for hitting a double. <laughs> he should always feel like a douchebag. And the Dodgers are playing the Cardinals tonight. And Today. last night. Today, right now. Kelly, did Kelly get beaned? We be, we beat the Godless Dodgers last night, so hopefully we'll repeat today. Well, yeah. Well, the bottom line is we won't get into the playoffs and whether they were throwing at Hanley Ramirez on purpose to injure him so that they could beat the Dodgers. But keep it classy, Cardinals. Yeah, classy. Okay, so let's talk about next war Korea. Um, is that the first game you ever designed, Mitch? It is. In you know design. I, Gene did the original design because it was based on Crisis Korea, and then I kind of stepped in and and he was working on a uh, an update for it, and I I had just been playing the 
crap out of the game. And I was like, hey, Gene, you know, while you're working on that update, you should do this. And maybe you should do this. And maybe you should do this. And I think he just got tired of hearing me. So he said, hey, Mitch, why don't you just do it? <laughs> so that's kind of how that happened. And then, you know, we, we, we revamped it. A lot of the rules changed. The core is still there. But uh, it kind of updated it and, and gave it a more modern look and feel. Okay, now what what updates did you make to the game to update it from its previous edition? Like some of the movement stuff has changed. The ZOC stuff changed a little bit. Um, light infantry got a little bit more nuanced, I guess. To okay, you know, I, I uh, never had the original. I just yeah, had no, no, the air war got tweaked a little bit. You know, just some different things you could do. Some new mission added that kind of stuff. So did uh, you, did you upgrade the game also to reflect the current? state of affairs in Korea as opposed to when it was initially made? Yes. So in the the order of battle on the... It was kind of weird. So the order of battle on the U.S. side was easy, right? Because we've gone to the BCT system. We're fully engaged in that, and that's just how we do things. The Rock is kind of kind of halfway in between, right? (laughs) They've said, we're going to go to a BCT system, and I think they have a couple, but then they're slowing it down and kind of pulling back. Who knows what the hell they're really doing, but um, so, so we kind of just left them as divisions since that's, it's going to be years and maybe even decades before they actually on the BCT system. And then on the DPRK side, the, the North, it, it was just hard because, I mean, come on, you know, <laughs> you can't get any good. Yeah. Right? They have um, millions of troops and millions of futuristic right. jets and whatever. Sure. Else. And they have magical unicorns and hundreds well, of all bots. Yeah like that but so so your um, letters that you wrote to the north korean government requesting information about their their yeah, old, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> were, were so, it's funny so right after right after the game came out i don't know if you guys remember that but the gmt site came under a denial of service attack so i maintained the gmt website right, right. and it came under yeah. a denial of service attack and we're all sitting there going does this have anything to do <laughs> wow that's funny I, if I, anything it, i think they would be happy with the uh Sure. The, the way you treated the DPRK military. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, to make it a game, the, the, some of the assumptions in there, you know, like I wrote about in, in CTI, some of the assumptions in there are they figure out that they need to do something, so they make some slight changes, they build up some some supply and some actually do some training and shit instead of sending their soldiers out to farm the fields, right? Right. And uh, kind of upgun them a little bit, but um, other than that, it's it's just kind of... Kind of there. It's fun. Just but you also didn't you also you uh, have since also made a, a module that basically a, a scenario that reflects maybe a more current state of affairs. I did less, less upgun DPRK. Yeah, and it just kind of knocks them down more to reality. I mean, or at least closer. That you know, I think I call it the reality show or something like that. But yeah, it just kind of knocks them back a peg. Um, the, and the truth is, like, their air force is just junk, right? I mean, they got a couple of good airframes, and then the rest of them, who knows if they can actually take off, much less engage in air combat. Just and then, maintenance, maintenance problems. And- exactly. So sortie rates would be down, all that good stuff. I mean, in a pinch, you can always do something, but, um, you know, even even the ROC Air Force could handle that. And so uh, the ROC just agreed to buy 40 F-35s, which... Depending on how you feel about the F-35, that could be good or bad. <laughs> I mean, it's a better airplane than, than some of the ones they have. So, um, you know, I, I'm going to put a couple of counters in Next War Taiwan for that, I think. Okay, so speaking of Next War Taiwan, I know there's a couple other projects coming out of the Next War series. 
you want to talk about them a little bit as far as sure. I know there's Next War Taiwan and I believe there's Next War Indo Pakistan. India Pakistan, yeah. So Next War Taiwan, we're actually in the middle, we're proofing the final components, um, which means nothing, right? I mean, we could have the final components for months before it goes to print, but we're, we're in the middle of proofing the final components. Play testing is going on. We've got a group, good group of play testers who have cut their teeth on all the standard scenarios and now we're going to cut them loose on the advanced scenarios. Um, so it's kind of organized a little bit like, or a lot like Next War Korea. You know, there's a couple of, there's three small, vignette scenarios, if you want to call them that, just, just deal with, you know, slices of the island, um, kind of like the first three scenarios in next war Korea. And then the whole strategic surprise, tactical surprise, um, extended buildup for the advanced game where you get, basically you get more stuff. Um, and the, the U S has a better chance of intervening. So in, in this one, it's a little different because the U S isn't necessarily going to intervene. We don't, we don't, you know, have a treaty with Taiwan or any of that stuff. So, right. And it, it, it quickly becomes apparent that if, if the U S doesn't intervene, it's a long slog for them. <laughs> but, um, well, it's, it's, it seems yeah. like the problem with Taiwan is if the U S does intervene, since it's a, an amphibious invasion, that would be a big problem for the Chinese. Right. Exactly. Because the U S Navy, um, would, I guess maybe China might have some land-based aircraft that can protect their fleet, but uh, obviously we would win the naval supremacy. Well, so it depends, right? I mean, you know, they have the whole big A280, the uh, uh, anti-area access denial uh, conversation going on. It's, it's kind of going the rounds on the, in the naval community right now and because the Chinese have those big-ass anti-ship missiles, right? I okay. mean... Remember, I don't know, back in the 80s, we had the Harpoon, right, which has got, what, an 80-pound warhead, and the Soviets had their, I don't even remember what it was called, but they had their anti-ship missile and had, like, a 400-pound warhead. Okay. So, kind of the same deal with the Chinese. They have hundreds of these big-ass anti-ship missiles that are supposed to deny the area and, and deny access to the area. So, the theory being, you know, they can push our carriers or keep our carriers far enough away that, you know, the Hornets, who don't have long legs anyway, right, mm-hmm. are the edge of their operational range, and so they're not as effective as they would be normally. So right now it's all theoretical, right? It's the quote-unquote air-sea battle concept that they're still trying to work through. And um, we've got a couple of cool playtesters who, <laughs> you know, actually work in that kind of, in that field. Um, sure. So they're they're giving us some good advice on that, what they can give us. Right. And, uh, that, that's kind of neat, but, uh, it, it's interesting. So, so, so next war Taiwan is kind of set in tomorrow or 2013, 2014, like it, 2013, 2012 or now? Yeah, I would say, I would say it, it's very close to contemporary, right? We're not, I'm not projecting a lot of changes to the OOB, the order of battle for like Taiwan. Um, they're still kind of stuck with the, I think they're on block C F 16s or whatever it is. Cause Congress won't, you know, won't approve giving them new stuff because they're afraid to piss off the Chinese or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of very near, near contemporary that the Chinese are a little bit upgraded. They've got their stealth aircraft operational. Um, but so for instance, they have, they have two carriers, um, you know, in North Korea, the, it's all kind of, the, the naval game is very abstract, right? You have these task force, task force counters basically. And, 
Um, like the U.S. had their carrier air wings and surface action groups and stuff. So the Chinese have a two carrier task forces, but you have to agree by optional rule to allow them to actually operate planes off of them. And it's kind of like the old Soviet 80s aircraft carriers, you know, with their Yak-36 forgers that were basically just flying targets. Um, although, although the Chinese planes are, the carrier planes that they're going to operate, they're a MiG-29 variant. So they're not horrible. But the, the, right now, they don't even know how to operate a carrier, right? I mean, they can sail it around, but they don't know how air operations off of a carrier work. I mean, other than throwing it off the catapult and recovering it. <laughs> how do you, how do you do carrier air patrol, combat air patrol? How do you do all the reconnaissance stuff? You know, where's your AWACS? All that kind of shit. They just don't understand that stuff yet. And it takes time and, and effort to put into the doctrine and the training and all that. So, um, that's, that's, that's kind of the stuff that we wrestle with right now on that one. Now, uh, as far as the political system, are you going to have something similar to Next War Korea where you have countries and they can be dovish or hawkish or yep. they have various components? So that's exactly how the U.S. And, and basically the two primary players are U.S. and Japan, right? And Japan's in there because they've got a huge stake in that whole area. Um, and, like, if you've been paying attention to any of the recent news, there are already, you know, both of them are like two peacocks facing each other off over the islands and stuff. And, um so you roll on the matrix and, and it's, it's more likely that Japan will intervene with stuff than the U.S. Um, and you know, the Japan, Japanese are, are no slouch. It's just they haven't done anything external to their country since, oh wait, we kicked their ass. Yeah. Until we told them not to. Right. So we know, told them not to. there's, there's some, there's some, I don't know, issues there. Uh, they don't get a whole lot of ground troops because they're just not gonna, they're not gonna get the ground. That one ain't gonna happen. But they can commit their navy and air, and their navy's no slouch, right? Um, uh, but their air is, is pretty good too, so there's yeah, that. Yeah, and, and yep. basically, I don't know if guys have played the Next War Korea system, that game system, but I really, I really like the game. I thought, uh, I thought it was, one of the best parts about it was that not only do you get, when, when Mitch was talking about, you know, uh, three main campaign scenarios, like tactical surprise and extended build up and, and those, you get those three, but because you roll for the different nations and their, I think it's their populace, their government and their military, yep. and whether they're hawkish, dovish, or somewhere in between, um, basically every game you play can be completely different based on if a nation ends up being particularly hawkish, they'll give more support, more direct military support. If they're dovish, they won't. So. Right. So like, like, exactly. So like in Taiwan, you know, the current playtest I'm in, Japan ended up, so depending on the scenario, both Japan and the U.S. are moderate, but depending on the scenario, moderate might mean different things for both of them. So Japan said, you know what, we're all in. We're bringing our Navy and we're bringing our air. And the U.S. is moderate, and they said, mm, you know what, we're going to ship you some supplies and we'll give you some electronic support. And, oh, by the way, those deniable special ops assets, they might or might not be there. We can neither confirm or deny that, so you can have those. Right. But, we're, you know, we're not sending a carrier battle group. Sorry, you're on your own. Though it's neat, it's harder for us to sneak in special forces like Putin style, you know, because they'll kind of stand out on the island probably. A little bit. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, then the other question I had is, does this game link with, uh, Korea? Yes. So the, the rule section 20, if you want to know, um, is about integrating. And basically, I mean, the basic concept is you just, you play both games at the same time, right? But I, I don't know if you, how deep you got in the next war Korea, but you know, when you're rolling on the master or when you're getting the 
Allied reinforcements, basically, just basically the U.S. reinforcements. She had to roll a die to to see, you know, if if they went to Taiwan or if they came to Korea because because in Korea because since we didn't have Taiwan, it was uh, oh PRC starts something in Taiwan and so now the U.S. is kind of divided, right? Okay. Um, so you made a die roll to see if your reinforcements got diverted that way. Well, now if you're playing them both at the same time, you're the theater commander. You can decide. You know what? I'm saying in this carrier group to help support Taiwan because the rest of the second ID is going to Korea. Or, you know, I'm going to send this F-15 over here and into Taiwan instead of into instead of into Japan so that it can support Taiwan instead of Korea. So you get a little bit more control over where the U.S. stuff goes. That's cool. Well, uh, what, so what about Indo-Pakistan? Where's that? So India, Pakistan. Um, oh, and one one more thing, real quick. So next war, Taiwan's up for pre-order on yep. GMT's website. Correct. And so Correct. is uh, India, Pakistan. Yes. And, and is next war Korea still available through GMT? I think it's still. Mm-hmm. Okay. There were there were boxes and boxes of them at, at GMT West that just need to go. Yeah, come on, guys. <laughs> Step up. Step it up. Right. So one of the one of the proofreaders. So one of the optional. That's an optional rule. I don't know. One of the rules in the in the Taiwan game specific book, it says, you know, basically it is one of the optional rules. You can either do it this way, which is because you don't have Next War Korea, so you kind of have to do the workaround, or you can go buy a copy of Next War Korea, and I had put a little smiley face in there. So one of the proofreaders was reading that, and he said, one of his edits was, to this rule, add four extra smiley faces. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, it's a good game. I rec- I gave uh, Next War Korea a pretty strong recommendation, so I still think it's uh, a great game. And as far as modern games, uh, I don't think you can find a, a better game out there right now. Just because, I mean, everything else is in 1985. Mm-hmm. Come on. Right. It's a drag. Like, who wants to go back to 1985 all the time? Fair warning, though, the advanced game is not for the faint of heart. Yeah, the the one thing I would say, Mitch, is... Uh, while the systems all work very well, um, it is tough as you get into the advanced game because the, 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 they all kind of operate differently. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it does get kind of challenging, like launching airstrikes. I'd be like, okay, this airstrike is in North Korea, so I need to... It, it helps with the flow chart, you know, to figure yeah, we, out. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it gets up. So funny you should mention that, Dave. <laughs> we... Uh, Chris Fawcett and I, so Chris signed on as like the series developer since we're going to have more than one game in the series. And, uh, he, he actually lives here in St. Louis too. And we've been talking and, and I had, so when I was working on next war Korea, I had had Terry Simo who did elusive victory mm-hmm. on a couple of other air games. I said, Hey, would you mind looking over the air war stuff here and just make sure we're kind of on track? And he said, so he did. And he, you know, he came back with, well, it, it works, right? And I like it, but that's not how we do things in the real world. Fuck. <laughs> right? Yeah. What do I do now? So we had a, we actually had a really good conversation about it. And basically it boiled down to the, the, way, the reason it's in Next War Korea the way it is is partially because of its roots, right? Um, so its roots go back to Crisis Korea, which actually go back to Next War, right? And the Third World War by DDW. Uh, their, their air systems are very similar to that. Right. You know, and that's, is that Chadwick? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. And, uh, so, it, players, players just get this, you know, fuzzy, warm feeling when they put their 810 down and say, I'm shooting at your armored division. <laughs> <laughs> they just, I, I just got a fuzzy feeling when he says exactly. that. Wow. Yeah, I don't want to know about that, but, 
They do. You know, it's that, it's that, it's that cool sense of, hey, look, I'm pushing my A10s or my F16s or my F20 or whatever it is across the board. And, and it's, and it's neat. And, and so part of it is the, how do you maintain the balance between giving players that feel and then how it really quote unquote works in the operational world. Now, as an effect, it, it works out the same, right? You end up with the counter and you get a strike value, which that strike value could be anything, right? It doesn't necessarily mean it's F22s or A10s or whatever. It's just a number. Um, but he said, you know, normally <laughs> we just operate in packages. We might have an F-22 flying top cover and two F-16s bombing, and then you got a, you know, an F-16 flying electronic support this time, or maybe you don't. So it just, he says it's kind of, it's not random, but it's just, it's a mixed package kind of deal. So what I've been working on lately is a kind of an expansion for that. So it's a, it's a package thing. You just pull a marker out and, there's so your, you have like a strike squadron or something, exactly. like a strike force. Right. Well, yeah, here's your strike value or here's your combat support value or whatever. And you just pull it out and all the math is built in so that all the air defense is already taken care of and all that. So it doesn't really matter where you're doing it or what you're doing it to. You just pull the counter and, and resolve it. So. Yeah, but I mean, isn't that kind of already in the basic system with the basic air system? We have airplanes. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it works the same way. It's just... It's just a little bit different, but yeah. Because I like the air-to-air battle. I thought that was bitching, where you had yeah. you had all the squadrons, yeah. they'd line up, and then you'd have a standoff, and yep. That was so in our in our playtest last. So I'm one of those guys, I guess, that you're talking about. <laughs> Cause, yeah. Cause well, yeah. I really like that system. <laughs> well, our playtest last Saturday, the guy playing the PRC player, you know, because they they were doing the hidden air superiority stuff. So I'm sitting on the Allied side, and I'm just bullshitting with the guy playing the Allies, and he's like. He's whispering to me, I don't think I'm going to put any air up. Well, maybe I will. Okay, it's like I'm going to challenge him. I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, I'm like, you guys are playing. I just I just need to know what's broken. You tell me what's broken. So we, we move the box out of the way, and the PRC player has pushed almost every air unit he has. I mean, bombers, combat support air. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, if it had an air-to-air combat value, it was in the air. Oh, yeah. No, I've done that as the North like Korean before. 20 to 1 odds or something. It was crazy. That's awesome. Well, because the problem the problem the North Koreans have is uh, once you, once the weather gets bad, you can't you can hardly field any aircraft at all. Right. So you might as well try to go strong in the first few turns, uh, and just lose a bunch of guys, but hope the survivors get you enough to uh, have air superiority. So. Exactly. Which is the way it should work. I mean, they they need to go up with everything in the beginning and hope they win quick, right? Because after that, it's going to be bad for them. So. Right, because the truth is, um, some of their squadrons are going to be uh, rendered inoperable just by flying in the air. Right. <laughs> like once they land, yeah. they might not go back up again. Right. Exactly. So oh, the God. the only thing I had with the game was I thought there was kind of a weird thing with our I think it was artillery support and headquarters support, and yep. I, at some point I was willing to go for more ease of play rather than having to be realistic on everything as far as how it might work. But I think that was it as far as yeah. But I think we we've talked about that before, so yeah, yeah. we know about it. So, uh, so Indo Pakistan. So what's all going right? On? We keep getting off track. So India Pakistan's on track. Um, and I'm calling it Indo Pakistan. It's India Pakistan. You know, over oh, there, no. same oh, difference. No. People will. I will hear about it later on that it wasn't sure. correctly. Well, then I need to encourage this. It's Indo Pakistan. Just and 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 before we talk about it, real quick, uh, Mitch, what are you drinking? Uh, right now. Yep. Skinny dip. Okay, so Jason, new, Jason, new Belgium. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, Dos Equis. Okay, so you're actually drinking, Jason. Yes, that's good. Is that is that not a thing I do? No, no. I think because uh, 
sometimes you have to be the monkey. You can't always be the organ grinder. That's true. Yeah, right? Although, I, I will tell you, I went, so, uh, by, by my work, there's a craft beer place that I can walk to. Went there, I went there yesterday, and I picked out a bottle of Lagunitis Nighttime. Night. Mm-hmm. Oh, I haven't had that one. That's good stuff. Stuff for this. So, once I'm done with the skinny dip, I'm gonna pop that open. Yeah, it's I a think big I've done a bunch of, is it Lagunitis or Lagunitas? I don't know. It's You're from California. It's Spanish, right? Yeah. So that's, yeah. I think it's Latin. Latin. It's not Latin. Whatever. It's not a disease. You have <laughs> it's from the left coast. That's all I know. Okay, that's fine. I'll bring my big pension out to your area and enjoy myself. <laughs> uh, okay, so... What about uh, you, Dave? Uh, so hey, you Dave, Dave, Dave what are you water. drinking? Oh, I'm drinking uh, Newcastle Brown. Nice. Oh. I think that's what's up next. Now, you know what I did? I tried the Newcastle, Blanc, Blanc, uh, Newcastle Bombshell. Mm-hmm. Good. I yeah. liked it. I bought six pack of it yesterday. Hmm. It's kind of a, uh, like a blonde ale. Yeah. Or something like that. My wife actually liked it too, so. I love their. That's always good. The brown is good though. That's always one of my go-tos. Oh, gee. Yep. Yep. Okay, so India, Pakistan. Sorry guys. Pakistan is, it, it's on track, so we got the map, we got the counters, we got all that good stuff, the scenarios all, all written. What's and the scale? Doug was saying. Exactly the same. So it covers it covers just so the Kashmir and then a little bit south. Was that east, west, whatever? Down down from there. So it's just a kind of a slice of the Indo-Pakistani border, but that's where most of that action is going to be. So you have Amritsar on one side of the border and Lahore, Lahori, Lahore, I don't know, whatever, on the other side of the border, and those are the two. In, Quote, you know, India, Pakistan cities that are right across from each other and there's a little fortified section there and, um, it's basically just a, a free for all between two, not quite first world, barely second world armies, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, uh, a lot of intervention scenarios. So, um, I don't know if you've been looking on constant world, but Doug's been, I have. Po- so he's been posting pictures of, so one of the scenarios is called loose nukes. And basically you put a bunch of clearing markers down and there's, they represent potential sites for loose nukes. So the U.S., the, the Chinese, the Russians all come in trying to secure all these loose nukes. So you got airborne troops all over the place running around finding these clearing markers, trying to figure out if it's a loose nuke or not. And then in between that, you got the Indians and the Pakistanis going at it and fighting each other and fighting everybody else. And it's just, it's a hoot. That scenario right there is going to be the game. <laughs> It's cool. Yeah, it sounds awesome. So, like, that's but that's obviously the third game scheduled out. Yeah. So, next war Taiwan has a tentative fourth quarter uh, release date. So, we'll see how testing goes. But cool. a- so, Dave, I think we need to start pushing it, and then we can get uh, you know, the 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 copies in the mail kind of thing. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't do the copies in the mail, Jason. I have too much integrity. Not only do I, I not understand. receive free copies, I don't want your free copies, game designers. <laughs> nice. Me, yeah, Mitch. I paid full right. price for Next War Korea. Well, full price. I was thinking double. But. I paid NWS price. <laughs> mm-hmm. yes. By the way, NWS might be coming back to their old systems. So yep. <laughs> I don't know if we talked about that in the, the mystery, the missing Bermuda Triangle June podcast, but we may have discussed I, that. I, don't I think we did for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Remember. After after the the podcast we did last time, my wife has has said that I might have to start doing it in the garage. 
Were you, were you loud? Um, yeah, I just think that there was, um, yeah, I would say that my wife is not impressed with the performance in general. Uh, so, Jason, um, I'm a little concerned about you because I've been I've been kind of following your game numbers, mm-hmm. and while I'm excited, I think you guys are have been playing that uh, DNBN Foo game. We have. I'm a little concerned that since Jason became fertile, he's not been playing war games. I've been busy. There's some kind of barren versus fertility war game reduction. Book. Yeah, it's uh. It's taking up all of my time. Wow. So, no game. Yeah. Yeah, can, I've played one game this entire month. Time? Like, you can earn, like, good behavior time where you can game? Yeah, but then I'm recuperating. Oh, jeez. I'm not as young as I once was. Jeez. That's not good. No, not at all. I'm, I'm trying to get back into it. I think summer is back just war gaming or the my other? ass. <laughs> uh, back into war gaming. Well, uh, the other thing too, you can't just jump back into the other thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you gotta, there's stretching involved. And, yeah, so it's a whole up. thing. That, <laughs> one of the signs that you're getting older is right. uh, with things that you used to just do are now a workout. Yeah. Like if you walk up a hill and you're like, "Oh man, that was a good workout." Well, yeah. when you're a kid, you, or like when you mow the lawn, oh that was. Good <laughs> you come back in just drenched in sweat. <laughs> right. Whew. When you were a kid, you did all this stuff, and then you worked out. Yeah. <laughs> now you're like, well, that was my workout. I'm done right. for the day. Mm-hmm. That's good for you. Well, don't hurt yourself, buddy. Don't yeah, I'm trying not to. Or, uh, but I'm, I'm trying to. I have a actually. I, I have a game on the table now. Part of it was um, Braxton sent me that um, libraries of Napoleon library of Napoleonic battles game. The yeah. Ekmal, and I was trying to read the rules and trying to bully my way through and I just I, I finally gave up and now I'm actually playing games again. Oh, so it was too much for you? I, yeah, it's either that or I just don't really care about Napoleonics, I think. So I'm going to I'm gonna keep it for a couple more weeks and try to play it again and if not, I'll, I'll pass it along to somebody else. But yeah, you just, If you listen to Lucas, he doesn't think that game is very hard at all. So. Yeah. But you got to listen to Lucas. So. Are you trying to read it while you're doing the other competing activity? No, I'm usually reading it while I'm drinking, okay. which might lead to why yeah. the okay. next morning none of that makes sense. Okay. Mm. Um, okay. Hey, the other thing is we've got a quiz. Oh, and, and Mitch, I'm not sure if you're aware of the quiz. Um, <laughs> it's it's optional. I just want to say that you know there's been some complaining and whining about the quiz. Uh, <laughs> That we just have the quiz to humiliate the mystery guests to somehow make ourselves look better. Um, but I just want to let you know the quiz is optional. You do not have to take the name for quiz if you don't want to. You Please. will be mocked for eternity. Well, right. You don't have to take it. <laughs> there are probably the consequences. <laughs> I don't. I don't want you to hurt my self-esteem. So, no. Let's do it. Bring it. You're gonna do it. All right. Let's go. Bring it. So um, there is a notional time limit. <laughs> questions. Um, the other rule that I'll tell you is you can't take the Ralph Shelton technique where you ask oh, your answers in a question form to try to trick me into telling you if it's right or not. It was is successful. It, is it Stonewall? Right. right. <laughs> I'm thinking of a guy named. Okay. So two words starts with S. Right. Case, no. No. No giving help. No, oh, sorry, sorry. No hints. So, uh, are you ready, Mitch? I'm ready. As ready as I'll ever be. 
So you're saying bring it on for the quiz? Sure. Okay. All right, first question. So the, the name of the quiz is Name 4. This is a, this is a quiz we ask uh, every uh, new mystery guest that comes on, or mystery host. So because you're more than a guest, Mitch, you're a host. You're yes. here. You're with us. Excellent. We're all up at the table, all three of us. Does that mean I can change the rules of the quiz? No. No. You're not you're <laughs> non-voting. <laughs> not that kind of a host. I see. All right. You're a figurehead host. You're here <laughs> only for your fame and uh, your street cred in the wargaming community. Perfect. And that's not very much so. Okay, so the first question in the quiz is, in the American Civil War, battles were often given different names by each side. Yeah. Name the other side's name for each of these battles. The first one is Antietam. Sharpsburg. Got it. Correct. Woo! The All second right. one is done. Mercury. No, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> retire now? <laughs> You'd like to announce your retirement? <laughs> All right, go ahead. go ahead. The second battle is Murfreesboro. Murfreesboro? That had to be Stones River. That is correct. And uh, we know you're correct because we heard drag racing outside yeah, Jason. Yeah, sorry. I don't think that was me this Whatever reason, people like to gun their engine when they go right past my house. I don't know. The, the third battle is Bull Run. Bull Run? That'd have to be Manassas, first or second. Oh, wait, that'd be first. That's correct. Yeah, well, when they fought the first one, they didn't know there was going to be a second one. <laughs> now, this one, you should definitely know. Uh-oh. Pea Ridge. Pea Ridge? I think that's in Missouri, isn't it? It is. Well, it's either in Norfolk, northern Arkansas well, or southern Missouri. Yeah, same true. Difference. I think Wilson's Creek is your big Missouri. Oh, that's right. Wilson's Creek said Pea Ridge is right across the border. Right. <clears throat> Pea Ridge was given another name. Was it? See, there's always that one killer. Yeah, can't can't let you just roll right through it. I'm gonna go with the battle where Lion died. How's that? I don't know. That's, that's Wilson's Creek, so that's wrong. But uh, Elkhorn Tavern. Elkhorn. Damn it. Wow. You know what? I sold my copy of Across Five Aprils. That's why I can't remember that. Well, there you go. All right. So, that wasn't too bad. That's three out of four. Yeah. On a roll. Okay, so, um, second question. Name four SS divisions, including the division number and name. So, four Waffen SS divisions, the number and the name that it was given. No, I'll just I'll just pass now. I have no idea what the number is. You're gonna pass? Do you want to try to at least name some names? I can give you the names. Totenkopf, Liebstandard, Adolf Hitler, Viking. Um oh, that's before, right? Mm-hmm. What was that? Totenkopf, Liebstandard, Adolf yeah, Hitler. Somebody's been reading the Death Right Kursk releases. Yeah, well, I've been playing OCS. <laughs> um Panzer Lair? No, that was an SS, actually. Never mind. Panzer Lair is a regular army. Wehrmacht. Wehrmacht. Nothing. Wehrmacht. Well, 1st SS, 12th SS. I don't know if they had names, though. They did. Mm-hmm. They all had names. Really? So I don't know what their names are. But. So you're guessing what? Uh, Liebstandart, Viking, and Totenkopf? Sure. And 12th SS. We'll go with that. Okay, Liebstandart is the first. Yep. Totenkopf oh. is third. Really? Viking, which I think is, is it Viking? Eh, it's Viking. 
Is it Weichen? That always confuses me with the German names. But we, we've been over and over about how I don't know how to pronounce anything correctly. Uh, fifth is Weichen, uh huh. and twelfth is Hitler Youth. Hitler Jugend. Oh right, right, right. I remember that now. You say that. And the only ones I would have gotten too, I think, are uh, I would have gotten Das Reich. Oh. I, I wouldn't have necessarily known that Das Reich was the second one. But right. because I played uh, Devil's Cauldron, I would know Hohenstaufen and Frunsberg. Yeah, Oh, I so. forgot. Yeah. But so that's a zero. Yeah. I forgot they had numbers. I thought they were named. No, they have numbers. They're German. Of course they have numbers. Okay. You ready for the third question? Sure, because I did so well. You're, you're doing okay. You're ahead of the curve. Three Woo-hoo. out of eight. Three out of eight. At least I know what you're talking about. The Battle of Leipzig was fought from 16 to 19 October 1813 and was known as the Battle of Nations. Besides France, Russia, Prussia, and Austria, <laughs> name four nations whose troops fought on either side in this battle. But those are the only one. No, I'm just kidding. And, and I want their, their nations as they were constituted during the Napoleonic Wars at the time of the battle. Yeah. Wow. So, so you bes- can't say like Glashberg von Bruxenberg. Hey. So besides the big four. Besides the big four, name four. How many other ones were there? It's, um, for decent size, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. seven. Wow. And, and, you know, these are troops that fought alongside the French, oh. fought alongside the Russians and Prussians. Let me, let me ask, can I clarify the question? Sure. Are, are these, are some of these nations the ones that Napoleon made? They are. Some uh-huh. of these nations are nations that Napoleon created. So like Westphalia? No. No, no, no. <laughs> Not that one. No, Westphalia was part of the Confederation of the Rhine. Bingo. Bing. Yeah. See, that's what it was. Confederation of the Rhine is one. Right. Uh, Kingdom of Italy? Correct. Um, I want to say Holland had troops there. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Ralph. No, I don't know. That's the, that was the question. I'm kind of thinking out loud. They, they, <laughs> Waiting for me to be like, correct? <laughs> phone a friend. See, now I'm geeking out. Now I'm trying to remember, did Holland actually provide Napoleon with troops? I don't think he did. Anyway. Um... There's one that you're going to kick yourself. You've you've gotten two pretty difficult ones. Yeah. Well, probably I'm going to kick myself anyway. Uh, the Grand Duchy of Poland. Uh, I'll take it. It's Duchy of Warsaw. Oh yeah. Sorry. No, it's acceptable. That's a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> I think Poniatowski <laughs> drowned in this battle. Yeah, that's a fascinating story too. That whole thing. But, yeah, trying to escape. Uh, Let's go with. Oh shit! What did he call it? There's a big one that you're missing. Yeah. Go with <gasps> Spain. Wrong. Damn. Um, Kingdom of Naples. Oh shit! Yeah, 1813. That was after the. Never Kingdom of Naples. Saxony. Yeah, yeah. Kingdom of Württemberg. And the biggie. Sweden. Sweden. Led by Bernadotte. Oh, I forgot that he... Who had been a marshal of France, was chosen to be the king of Sweden, and then betrayed Napoleon. He switched sides and showed up, but you know what? They didn't do much in that. <laughs> no, I know. That, well, he wasn't going to risk his army. <laughs> oh, hell no. He just got like a good game. Brand new toy. All right. I almost said Wartenberg. Damn it. 
Right. But I thought I thought Wurttemberg got con- got uh, consumed in the Confederation of the Rhine. So no, I think they were separate. But yeah. don't don't start trying to hedge already. That's that's hey. not a good look. All right, yeah. that's three out of four. That was good. Woo-hoo. And I gave you the Warsaw one. So yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, okay, so now I'm I'm not positive about my pronunciation here. The the it's the Battle of Issus. I S S U S. Mm-hmm. Alexander and Persia. In what century was it fought? Which nations fought there? Who was the victorious general? And in what modern country was the battle fought? So let's go through it. Do you know what century it was fought in? Shit, what century? That was the 4th century B.C.? Correct. 333 B.C. Yeah! Jeez. What country, what, what nations fought there? Pull that out of my ass. Uh, that's, that's awesome. Macedonia and Persia. Got it. Uh, who won? What? The Greeks, although they were Greek, but that's okay. Anyway, who was the victorious general? That would be Alexander. And what modern country was the battle fought in? Yeah, see, now I'm trying to remember where that hell <laughs> was. <laughs> Let's go with Iraq. Turkey. A lot, of, a lot of dirt. But right at the edge of Turkey. Yeah. So it's really Kurdish now is what you're saying. Well, that's kind of in the southern part, but uh, I think it's almost Syria. So it's nah. three out of four. That's good. You're doing great. Yeah. Yay! Now bonus. Nine out of 16. Yeah, here comes bonus. Now bonus is, I think, a little bit in your wheelhouse, so we'll see how you do. You get two points for those, right? No, one point eight. Yeah, why is it? I, yeah, I, I haven't figured out the math on the bonus questions. <laughs> we, can, we can barely keep track of the score. In fact, we actually we, we rely on the guild the listeners and the actual players themselves to keep track of who does what. So right. Oh, you. Yeah. I mean, you know, you realize I've already gotten like three of the ones that I got are actually incorrect slightly. So let's go. You ready? Yep. During the War of Spanish Succession. So right now he's already excited yep. about that. <laughs> the, the Duke of Marlborough fought four major field battles: Malplaquet, Blenheim, Odenard, and Ramillies. Name the commanding generals who opposed him. Oh. Now, sometimes there's more than one. And so you can pick, if you have a question, I'll actually let you throw an answer out if you're concerned that it, because sometimes, you know, they had a dual command or right. this guy there was an idiot who didn't do much or. Not big on the. I thought you were a big Lace Wars guy. Oh, a little bit, a little bit further up. Oh, well. That's okay. That's okay. We're good. I'm going to go with Turin for one of them. For which battle? Oh, shit. I gotta know which battle it was. I, I, don't, I don't have him at all for either of them, for any of them, but. I knew I should have played that game. So you're throwing out a general, you're not even sure what battle he was in. <laughs> well, I mean, I know, I know some of the names. I mean, this is, we're talking the commanding general. Right, but I don't know those battles. Like these guys are like marshals of France. These guys are major generals. Napoleon. Oh, wait. He wasn't even a squirt yet. <laughs> oh. So I gotta know which battle he, wait, wait, which general he faced at a particular battle is what you're saying. No, I'm saying you don't have to pick the battles. I'm saying oh. those four battles named any Just, commanding generals that, that commanded the French oh, at those battles. I said Turin! What's the name? I think that is incorrect. 
I don't think that's a, what battle. I don't know. He doesn't know. He's not what on my, the ones I had, so that's incorrect. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he regardless didn't. of the fact, it's 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 not on the list. Can you can you spell the name? Even if he was hired, I thought he did face him. T U R E N N E. Okay, we'll we'll take it under consideration. Maybe I don't know. He made it. He might have been later on. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know any of those guys. No, you don't know. Okay, uh, you have Bill Ars. Are Who? you giving up? Yeah. You have you have Tallard, Marcin, Vendome, Villeroy, uh, Burgundy also fought, commanded at Odenard, and Maximilian I would have taken, who was the elector, yeah. but he basically was just around. I think with the Bavarians for a couple battles, but right. I don't know if he actually did much. But yeah, I just thought you were a Spanish succession guy, so I thought that'd be oh, good. Austrian succession. So basically, you have one. You have one guess there that right. you're you're saying could be true, but you're not sure what battle. So right. now I'm thinking maybe he didn't face it, but you know, it's the only name I associate with the War of Austrian Succession, but it could be wrong. Do any of those names ring bells for you? They do. One of them, yeah. The Lars. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's a large. They're all pretty well known. Well, what's funny is you see them later too. You know, Van Dam and Maxwell. They're all named Maximilian. Okay, so let's see how let's see how uh, how Mitch did. Nine. Got three right on the first question, zero on the second, three on the third, and three on the fourth. So he's looking at a nine, possibly ten, out of twenty. God, it was such a strong start. I thought really he was doing uh, well. I got this. You did great on the Isis one. Yeah. yeah. You got a, no, no more two-part questions. Either name the divisions or name the numbers. Oh, see, so that's that's going to be your deal. It's going to make to the league. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's you know the hardest one is the ancients question because it's always like there's tough to have specific. Uh, have it not be the Romans every time and have there be specific questions. Right, because, yeah. Because there's so much of it is out there, like, as far as, but I think that's going to be a good format to ask the ancients question, because, and I didn't think that the ancients one was too bad, but I would not have gotten the century, I don't think. Yeah, well, like I said, I kind of pulled that one up. I'd have gotten the middle two, maybe, but Jason, would you have gotten any of those? I would would have scored zero. Really? No, no, I probably would have gotten... You would have gotten the, the winning commander. Three, um, the only one I would have known at all was the SS divisions. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I would have known some of those. Um, I would have scored the same as Mitch probably on the Civil War battles because I don't think I would have. I don't think I knew P Ridge. No, I, I didn't even. I, I mean, when you said it, I was like, "Oh yeah, I did have that name," but it's not one of those you commonly, you know, think of. Is somebody chopping meat in the background? Um, my wife is making cake. Okay. <laughs> Sounds with, like it's going bad. That's baking? <laughs> the noise of baking? Yeah. That's how we do it here. It sounds like she's hammering it's you a new battle axe. breaking. She's working really on the forge. <laughs> okay. nice. All right, so that's the quiz. Let's see. What else do we have here? I'm going through my copious notes. Uh, Jason, did you have anything in particular that you wanted to talk about? I hope not. Uh, Mitch, how about you? I mean, I know you got a review, but besides... Oh, Dave, I did, I did want to ask you, do you log your games? No. No? I did barely you? remember my games. I didn't, I didn't well, think so. Mitch, do you? I log sessions. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what I do, too. Yeah. So, like, for ours, I log two. Yeah. Right? 
Yep. Jason literally has a book that he pulls out. It's like, Dear Diary, today I played Dave at Liberty Roads. <laughs> the guy I play with does that. He keeps track of everything. <laughs> you were supposed to talk who, about that, Dave. Who he played, the day he played it on, who scored what, and sometimes like a little, like a little, uh, paragraph about what happened. Have I, I, met, I don't have I that. met the guy you're talking about? No, no. Okay, good. Because that sounded like somebody I might have met. Um, <laughs> oh, was that your buddy, Mitch? <laughs> Let's not get yeah. into that. Yeah, actually, he's he's a guy. He literally lives two blocks over, so we play a lot of games together. Oh, he's great. nationally Congratulations. famous. Famous he, from he coast liked, to coast. Yeah, he likes to track the statistics on everything, which is you know whatever. I just have a terrible memory, so I like to write stuff down so that I can actually have some idea of if I played something or not. I do that with books, though. I blog on my books I read and all that kind of stuff. That's what Goodreads is for. Exactly. Like I'm a like well-rounded nerd, quick- Dave. My my question is, uh, do you guys think you're good at wargaming? No. Like, I play a lot of games, but it seems like I'm not very good at them. Like, I, I don't really care if I win or lose, but um, I seem to lose a lot of the games I play, and sometimes it seems like I only really win them because I, I'm rolling well or <laughs> I get lucky in the game. I think uh, both like of I, you I, can attest to how bad I am at playing well, I, war games. Like, I'm playing Ralph at Liberty Roads, and at some point, I think it was Thursday night, um, he broke, I'm the Allies, so I'm landing in Normandy, and I'm pretty confident mm-hmm. we're in the position. And then at some point, Ralph broke through my lines and Ow. was exploiting, and he was right adjacent to my British beachhead, with <laughs> only a headquarters sitting on it, and I was looking at it like, like if I had been playing face to face, he would never have been able to miss the opportunity. But I'm looking at the screen like, oh my god, he absolutely has to see that he could. And I'm not sure if Ralph was just trying to be nice to me, probably, and, and not <laughs> at that point, probably. But he attacked a, a different direction, and I'm like, I'm sure as hell not going to say something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sitting there I, at that point. I don't even think I'm grieving, waiting for him to do his exploit move. I'm like, oh my god, please don't kill that guy. <laughs> and I just thought to myself, oh, I'm terrible at these games. <laughs> like, how did I not guard the beachhead? Nice. Yeah, Ralph is a very calculated player, though. He didn't even mention it. Hmm. And I thought, well, you know, maybe I should say something like, hey, you know, like sometimes I'll say, yeah. hey, you know, I don't know if you thought about it, but that's probably a good move. Um, but usually if I do that with Ralph, he's already thought about it, and there's some reason why he shouldn't do that move. He's calculating so, uh, the odds. Now that you say that, Dave, I'm kind of curious. Do you play that way a lot? What? Like when you're playing face-to-face with somebody, oh, you know what, you might want to think about doing this or doing that or, or whatever. Do you do well, that? if we're first, if it's like the first time we're playing, like Ralph's never played the game before. Uh-huh. I've played maybe once or twice. I think if we're doing a learning game, I'm, I'm totally into like being like, hey, how about let's talk about different strategies that we right. can do. You know, or if I think a guy's doing one move and he might not see another option, I'll be like, you know, alternatively, you could maybe do this. Uh-huh. Um, I guess you, I guess you don't want to make the guy feel like you think you know more about it than he does. But. Right. I was gonna because that's where that's where I fall down a lot. I'm like, well, do I say something and does it come across as like I think you're stupid for doing <laughs> that, or yeah. do I say something because if you do that, then you know we're gonna end the night in about 20 minutes because I'll be through your lines and, and done and. Yeah, I guess it depends. Like, if you're playing a guy who's, if you've played the game a bunch of times, I think you can teach a guy the lesson the hard way, you know, by doing it to him. Right. I think the first couple times you play, maybe you'd say, well, if you do that, you know, I'm going to kind of, you're kind of leaving this unprotected and, 
Uh, I mean, like, I'm, there, there are only a few games that I think I'm really good at. Like, East Front 2 by Columbia Games, I think I'm really good at that game. As that a German. And you have to be, because if the German player is not really good, the game's not going to be fun at all. <laughs> um, but, as but we experienced in our first game of it. Right. Yeah, I kind of worked Jason a little bit the first time we tried it. I suck at Kingdom of Heaven, Dave. No, you don't. The problem is you roll ones when I roll sixes. <laughs> well, and, and I'm a little over aggressive, but yeah. You know. But 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 in in our game, both times you attacked me with the Crusaders, I tried to run away, and my right. stupid general wouldn't. And right. then you rolled a one, and I rolled a six, and I defeated you. So. Yep. It's not like they were, I mean, we both thought those were good attacks because I was trying to get out of the hex. Yeah. But Oops, fun though, that, I liked it. That's what I'm saying, like, I'm just, sometimes I think I win just because I'm lucky in the game. I don't think it's mm-hmm. particularly, and my dice so. have been oh. killing me. Although, you know what, I'm, I'm not really particular to games that are all about the luck, right? I mean, I, 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 I constantly maintain, because in our group, you know, People are always talking about luck of this and luck that. And I'm like, I constantly maintain, you know what? You need to put yourself in the situation where if the luck falls your way, it's huge. And if it doesn't, it just doesn't hurt as bad. No, it's true. You know? some, some players are gamblers. Right. You know, and so if they get really lucky, there's a big payoff. But yeah, you've got to you got to protect yourself in case the luck's bad. Some players, are <laughs> they think every long shot's going to pay off. <laughs> right. But yeah, I mean, I've had, like, I'm playing... Uh, Squad leader with John, and uh, oh, my dice have just been Oof. just terrible, just brutal. And uh, his dice have been pretty good overall, but still, I don't think that bothers me because in the end, I really don't care if I win or lose in the game. Right. I just yeah. don't want to feel like I'm getting screwed over. But what's funny about that game? Because you're, you're playing ASL, right? Yeah, a skirmish kit. Well, right, but I mean that's two D six starter right? kit, starter kit, yeah. That's almost always two d six, right? Right. Except I roll a nine every time. Right. As I was to say, I mean, you'd think you'd think the distribution would eventually just kind of even out or favor somebody. No, in apparently fact, not in, for you. In the game we we played in about an hour today before we uh I, we got on to do the podcast, and uh, you know John's like rolling snake eyes, twos, threes, fours. <laughs> it's just incredible. It's awesome. He gimmicked the vassal roller. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I should be like, roll that, roll that again. Auto roll it again just to make sure it's not stuck. Yep. Yeah, I, I mean, the good news is I really don't usually care if I win or lose about it. I kind of just want to have the whole experience and the story. Yeah. And if the other guy wins in a cool way and I can, sometimes it's fun to lose because it's about, it's really about, I think, who the guy you're playing is. If he's a good guy and you're friends with him, then it's right. not so bad to lose to him because he has fun. And so he, you can have fun because he's having fun. Right. Um, but yeah, I just, just looking over the the games I've been playing lately, I'm just like, I think I'm losing in almost every single game. So, so it it maybe it's a testament to the games uh, that even though I'm losing them all, I'm still kind of enjoying myself and I still like the hobby. Yeah, yeah. it's just it's just a test of your character, Dave. <laughs> well, uh, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think the only is there a game that you're like, like Mitch? Is there a game that be, besides one that you designed, is there one that you're particularly good at, like skilled at? Like, not that you know well, but you feel like, right. when I play this game, I think I can win it 90% of the time. Ooh, that's tough. Are or you, do, you not, do you not even go into a game thinking that way? Uh, 
Yeah, I, you know, I kind of usually go into a game thinking I'm going to win, but that's just me, right? Even though I don't often. <laughs> so, um, ATS, I'd say I tend to win that a lot more than I lose it. So ATS is the other tactical format, you know. That's the advanced tow brick system? Yes. Okay. So that one I just, I love the system and I, I think I just know how to, how it works, right? So when, when I'm playing other guys, they just, they're kind of, Getting chewed up a little bit. What about you, Jason? Is there a particular game that you think you're like very proficient at? Um, Sakiga Harder might be up there. I think I'm. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, um, I think I'm, I've gotten pretty good at that one too. I'm probably only Tokugawa. 75 percent win loss kind of thing. Uh, um, and then a distant plane. What's that? Do it 75 percent playing a particular side or either side? Either side. Yeah, I tend to go back and forth. So wow. I've, I've won, I, I've won, I, let's see. I think as the defender, I'm a little bit better. Um, but I've won as both. Who's that, Ishida? <laughs> the yellow blocks? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the yellow blocks. The yeah. yellow blocks. Yeah, I don't need names. Right. Which is why I fail at the, the quiz. And then <laughs> the coin games, um, I'm, I tend to be fairly good at, and I don't know if that's because I'm usually playing against people who don't know the system. Um, but I'm probably about 75% across the board on those, too. Nice. I love yeah. those. I yeah. suck it, too. Yeah, Fire in the Lake. It's coming. Yeah. It's coming. Very looking forward to that one. Yeah, I got it. I got it up. Charged already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's it. I just wanted to... I, I was curious how you guys felt about that. Like... Like, I like it sometimes, my, the, I guess one of the things I like in a game too is when I can play and I can kind of, uh, keep the other player off balance, like keep him reacting to my moves mm. rather than, a lot of times my strategy is try to make him react to your plan because that kind of throws the other player off. Yeah, get right? the upper hand. Right, because then he's, you're kind of dictating the pace of the game. So I like that kind of interaction. For me, that's fun in a game where you're kind of at a point where he's now reacting to you. You've got the momentum. Um, right. Or make a sudden move that he didn't expect. I think yep. that's fun. Uh, it's rewarding. And then even if it doesn't pay off, I mean, it's it's I mean, still just, a cool thing. That's just that's just good. That's just good war, right? I mean, that's Sun Tzu. That's that's what you're supposed to do. Like when you do a move and your opponent's like, "Fuck, <laughs> I did not." Exactly. See that. I didn't see that coming. Well, that was kind of the point. Yeah. So I, I think those are cool. That's kind of right. Okay. So um, I know we got some reviews. Uh, we've got some games played. Anybody in particular want to do a review first? Um, I need a beer. I was okay. just going to say I need to wet my whistle for into that. You guys don't bring a big cooler beer that you put down next to you. Well, during I brought the two up with me and I've blown through them. Okay. Yeah, it's been an hour. Does that mean Jason's going to want to go first because you've had two beers? <laughs> I'm not Lucas. Okay, I'll go last. <laughs> he's only had two, and he's behind. I'm just saying. Because I have two games I want to do, but two. two. So it you long. Yeah. Oh, Breaking yeah. the rules. Yep. Yeah, let's pause it for a minute. Okay. All right. All right. Are you recording, Jason? Yes. Okay. So, but we need to we need to go back. You know, back when you asked me if I wanted to say something earlier. Now I do because I, I totally forgot. Jason and I talked about it a little bit last night. But so I'm gonna I'm gonna make a noise and you can tell me if you recognize it and then I'll tell you the story. Right. So. Okay. That was your quiz. What's that? Is that the uh, airborne clicker noise they make? Clicker! In the yes! So if I say flash, <laughs> you say thunder. 
So my daughter, my daughter did study abroad. She just got back from from uh, France, and which was very cool. But so on July Fourth, they went to Normandy. So she went to Omaha Beach, and she brought me back the clicker and a bottle, like her water bottle, filled with sand from Omaha Beach. Oh, that's awesome. That's cool. Yeah, I'm like, does she know me or what? She didn't bring back a French boyfriend. Yeah, thank God, no. Okay. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong Not with the French. They're lovely people. He'd be buried in the backyard, but you know. We love our French listeners. It was more the issue of a boyfriend. <laughs> right. Exactly. Than being French. I don't care what your nationality is. <laughs> okay, so I wanted to real quick to uh, make a recommendation for a book. Uh, I did this a couple episodes ago, and this is a book that I've I've read and I've given it to people as gifts a couple times. I don't know if you guys have read it. Have you guys ever read Duffer's Drift? No. No. I've heard of it, though. Duffer's Drift is like a choose-your-own-adventure book. It was designed as like a tactical study for, I think, British officers for fighting in like a colonial environment. And it's, it's, I think it was an actual book that they, they produced. And it's uh, kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure book. Hmm. And it's kind of like your your British squad or your British platoon shows up at this uh, farmer's house in it's set in the Boer War, and uh, like it's basically like okay the farmer comes and asks to, comes and visits you they want to bring you food do you let them do it or do you not let them do it? And if you let them do it, basically they they they, they come and give you food dad. and you guys are happy and then meanwhile he's scouting out your positions and in the middle of the night the commando shows up and wipes out your entire command. <laughs> and so so each step is like you're learning lessons play. based on your decisions. So right. it's kind of built like a choose your own adventure book where you can make different choices until finally by the end you've figured out how best to handle yourself. Uh, and I don't think the end result is like kill all the, the civilians and secure the area. And, but it's a, it's a really cool book. It's called Duffer's Drift. It's a, just a small, soft cover book you can get. I think it's pretty neat. So That's I'm going to recommend it. <laughs> That's it. I just finished up Anthony Beaver's D-Day and, uh, also heartily recommend. I'm not a World War II guy, but that was very engaging. What about you, Mitch? Are you reading anything? Uh, David Weber. Yeah, well, actually, I had read that a while ago. Um, but David yeah. Weber, that, I, isn't that the guy that wrote for Starfire? I had no idea. Yeah, he wrote he, some of his stuff was in the Starfire War game. Okay. Well, War. I mean, he he writes a lot of military sci-fi stuff, right? Um, and we last night, Jason and I were talking about Out of the Dark, which I had read, which is a pretty pretty interesting book with a with a. <laughs> Kind of an interesting twist at the end, so you really can't say much more than that, or it kind of ruins the whole story. So, um, I think the 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 last book I read. Well, I'm, I was I'm reading the Reavers, George McDonald Fraser, right? Flashman, oh, yeah. Flashman, Flashman. You guys Flashman. hear Flashman? Flashman. Right. So he's not a superhero, Mitch. It's right. not Flashman. Flash in the pan. Oh. Yeah, so it's called The Defense of Duffer's Drift. It's a short 1904 book written by Major General Sir Ernest Dunlop Swinton. It purports to be a series of six dreams by Lieutenant Backsight Forethought about the defense of a river crossing in the Boer War. So there you go. So I'm sorry, so you're reading this book. Blah, 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 boring, boring, boring. Don't want to give up the, the end. Whatever, whatever Dave said, it's good. <laughs> um, Terrible person. All right, Dave. A bad human being. No. 
We okay, talked about uh, last night, Dave. You missed it, so you know, move on. All right. Well, you, well, if you guys can, I do one of my reviews. Yes. Since I have two, so I'm not going to take up too much time. Breaking the format. I have two too, Dave. You weren't authorized to have two. You're only a a, a mystery host. <laughs> but I think we can fit you in somewhere. Nice. I have half a review and Mitchell oh, Phil and the other sake. half. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay, so uh first the first <laughs> review I'm gonna do is called Death Ride Death Ride Kursk Totenkopf. This is uh this is this game's made by Grognard Simulations. That was an SS division, right? It was an it SS was. division. It was the third. Top was the third. Third. Yeah, das Reich was the second. Das Reich was the second. Totenkopf was the third. Yeah, there you go. Um, Get your so uh, this is a platoon level World War II game, and I'd mentioned it last time, but I was probably too drunk to talk about it, and <laughs> I basically gave my just buy Liberty Roads review. Mm-hmm. So um, that's a good review of Liberty Roads. Buy it. So. So I'll, I'll I'll talk about this game real quick. It's not going to take very long. Um, it's pricey. I think it's I think it's about 150 bucks. Cool. Um, platoon level for Germans, company level for Soviets. So it's pretty tactical. Uh, it, it covers Totenkopf's sector of the Second SS Panzer Corps sector of the Southern Salient of Kursk. So if that's yeah. if you can get a picture of that. Basically what, what's going on at this point is 2nd SS Panzer Corps has three Panzer divisions online. Totenkopf is on the left, Liebstandart's in the center, Das Reich is on the right. And the idea is they're all three gonna drive through good, good, uh, Panzer country, um, and, and the idea is they're gonna try to destroy some of the, uh, Soviet strategic reserves, like 5th Guards Tank Army and stuff like that during the Battle of Kursk. So this battle, this, I'm sorry, this game basically covers Totenkopf sector. Um, the, the game's pretty cool. I've, I've actually set it up. I've played it. I've done a bunch of things on BGG talking about the game. The, some of the aspects I liked about it was that it's scalable as far as complexity. So there's a basic game. There's an advanced game that uses some of the, uh, optional rules that are in there. And then there's, like modules that you can uh, add on to the game to uh, make it even more, bring even more detail. I don't know, I, I, maybe complexity is the wrong word because I think some of these modules don't really add complexity to the game. They just add more detail as far as what you can do. Mm. Um, the game includes the command and control and fire support enhancements. And then later on there's air maintenance and logistics where you can handle supply and recover mm. vehicles and and like do strikes on airfields, but that's not really part of the the game that you're going to get out of the box here. So, Dave, is that like the airstrike stuff? Is that just abstracted out if you're not playing it, or? Yeah, if you're just using the game in the box, basically you say, "Hey, I've got this squadron, and I'm going to do an airstrike with it." And mm-hmm. there's a table. Like you roll a one d ten, and and you roll it on the table, basically based on um, whether the the units in in cover or in the clear. And it could be suppressed or eliminated based on that D10 roll. So, and you add, I think you add like the combat value of the strike aircraft. And if you do a, uh, like a ground attack like that, and there happens to be an anti-aircraft unit nearby, it can try to fire again on a, like a 1D10 table and see mm-hmm. if it boards you. So, <laughs> so your anti-aircraft units can actually protect your, uh, ground units from airstrikes, air attacks. Um, and there's a variety of different missions you can try to do with your aircraft, but basically, 
the units are, each unit has a secondary and a primary weapon. Uh, the secondary weapons are kind of like shorter range weapons, while the primary weapons are kind of their main long range weapons. So, like primary weapons for tanks tend to be good at piercing armor, fighting other tanks, while the secondary weapons on a tank platoon might be more like their machine guns and stuff like that. So is that like their shorter range weapons though, right? So if you get closer, the number gets bigger, right? No, what happens is basically, yeah, it, it can happen like that. So it depends on the type of weapon. So some weapons have higher multipliers at short range. Okay. So a particular type of weapon might be times two to the factor if it's at short range as opposed mm. to long range. Yeah. And that depends on whether the target is soft, medium, or hard. <clears throat> so like a Tiger tank is a hard, basically uh, each <laughs> unit is rated for uh, secondary weapon fire factor and range primary weapon, fire factor, and range, and then it's defense value. So, mm. And the defense value will have a color as its background, and if it's like a dark brown, it's a hard defense, which means it's much more difficult to uh, damage uh, soft target. But the cool thing is certain weapons are better against tanks than against infantry, so like artillery is better against soft targets. Tanks are like, like a, a tiger tank is better against armor, firing with its primary weapon than if it's firing against infantry. Hmm. So like a, a Tiger tank firing, which is like a plus armor unit, firing at short range against a tank unit has a much higher multiple to its fire value than if it's firing at short range at an infantry unit. So the, and it's they've got some really nice charts in the game that all make this very clear. Um, generally, you're going to shoot at a guy. The results you can get, you can, you can maybe uh, eliminate them, but usually you're going to suppress them. Uh, once a unit gets over four suppressions, it's eliminated. So the suppressions add up, but they can also be reduced at the end of the turn. If you if you shoot an armored unit, but you don't have heavy type armor weapons like like anti tank guns or uh, or you know like tank units firing at it, the best you can do to an armor unit is a two suppression. So infantry can kind of suppress an armor unit, but the right. best they'll ever do to them is an S two. So even if you, even if so even if you keep shooting them with the infantry, you can't increase it past that. Is what you're saying? Right. The best you're ever going to do is nest two. So, and and what the uh, suppressions do is the suppressions reduce their capabilities. So their fire factors go down and their movement goes down by a percentage based on uh, the level of suppression. Hmm. But the cool thing is their defense value goes up based on the level of suppression. So if a unit has an S three on it, its defense increases by three. Because the idea is the unit doesn't move as much, but they're like hunkered down. Mm-hmm. Right, you're grabbing dirt. Mm-hmm. Cool. So that's kind of cool. I thought that was neat. Um, there's the, risk weather, like I mentioned, you are going to allocate air. Uh, whether you want to do, you can do ground attack on targets. You can do close air support, where you're going to be supporting your own guys in a combat. Lend your strength to a combat. You can do uh, interdiction, which is going to re- reduce the movement of certain units. You can, and there's all sorts of rules for task organizing the Germans and and transferring German units to to battalions and comp groups. Um, One of the cool things I thought about the game that I found in the game was uh, they have patrolling, where in in the nighttime you pull a couple of infantry units back and put them at the division headquarters, and then so do the Soviets, and then you compare on a chart how many units you devoted to patrolling, and when you roll on the chart, and again it's like a 1d10 chart, if you if you basically gain the patrol advantage, then for the first couple daylight turns, you get a plus to all your fire attacks that mm. turn. 
because your guys have scouted out where the enemy positions are. So while the first turn it might be a plus two, the next turn it might be a plus one. So gradually as the day goes on, that advantage reduces. But the early morning advantage is your patrols came back in and basically told you where the enemy positions were. Mm-hmm. So that gives you an edge. And I've, I've seen very few games that actually have patrolling. <laughs> you know, even though like the U.S. Army has this big focus on patrolling, and right. patrolling, and we know the Germans did a lot of patrolling. Just now. Um, you don't see a lot of games that really reward patrolling. And and the price you pay is those units that went out patrolling aren't available until later in the day, maybe right, like 10 been. or 12. Sleep right. for three or yeah, four hours. Yeah, they've been out all night. So. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of cool. I hadn't really seen that uh, used in a game. And that kind of goes under the whole intelligence thing. <laughs> um, as far as artillery, you assign artillery. Uh, you have direct support artillery. You can assign them general support or reserve and based on who they're assigned to and what kind of assignment, that's how often they can fire or who they can fire in support of. Um, there's always a chance that if you fire your artillery, they might be detected by counter-battery fire. And uh, then reserve artillery from the other side might fire on them and try to suppress them. There's uh, command and control. So you have command ranges and supply ranges. Uh, and, and the turns are like two-hour turns. So a turn will be like 10 a.m. to 12 oh, wow. p.m. Oh. Um, it's pretty and, green, yeah. and so one of the one of the things like that happens with command and control too is you'll you'll have to do radio checks like as you get to more complicated versions of command and control you do commo checks on certain turns where the headquarters tries to have good commo and based on where your signal companies are or where the radio line of sight is uh, they might have bad communications so they don't get their orders or know what they're supposed to do so then you have to rely on the quality of the actual lower level command to decide whether it's going to operate normally or whether it might fall back or whether it might attack automatically. So um, where you put your headquarters, where, where you locate your headquarters in the signal companies becomes important in the game. And that's kind of more advanced. So in the basic command and control game, it's you just have to stay within command range. But as you start to get in the more advanced game, it's whether your headquarters is located with your signal company. Sometimes you want to put your signal company up on a hill and then have the headquarters safely down in good cover in case someone shoots at the, the signal company. So, hmm. see what else I got. Uh, there's Overwatch movement. So Overwatch basically, when when you move, guys can fire opportunity fire at you. When you got, move a guy and put him on Overwatch, he can shoot opportunity firing units before they can opportunity fire. Oh, that's cool. So it gives you a chance to set up guys in Overwatch. Like in my game, I set up the Tiger platoons in Overwatch. So when my guys started moving and the German tanks, uh, the Soviet tanks started shooting at them, my Tigers started pounding because they were basically giving away their positions by shooting at my moving guys. And then the Soviets got to a point where they're like, well, and the Soviet player also myself, because I'm playing solo. <laughs> like, I'm not going to shoot at these moving Germans anymore because the Tiger tanks are just killing me. Mm-hmm. There's a reserve movement, withdrawal movement. Um, let's see what else. Rule for mines, minefields, wire, digging in, engineers, combat engineers. Um, and basically the mines, if you move into a minefield, you're damaged. If you're on a minefield, you're much easier to shoot at. If you're on wire, you have to stop. And you're much easier to shoot at when you're on wire. So hmm. kind of like you guys get hung up in the obstacle. Yeah. Just kind of going through the table of contents, trying to see if there's... So rules-wise, is it pretty complex? Uh, well, yeah, I would say, here's what I would say. There's, 
there's a lot of detail in the game, but I don't think any of it's too complex. I mean, I did have a bunch of questions. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking Chris at, the, at the page, and you have 13 of the 15 threads. Right, I have all the rules questions, so I'm not sure how many guys are actually playing the game. Uh, I think there is a group of people that that he knows that have been playing. I think it's a really good game. Um, I enjoy the system. I thought it was... The rules are really well laid out, so I actually enjoy reading them, and I can kind of absorb them while I'm reading. Mm-hmm. And that's not usually true for yeah, me. There's something to be said about that. Right. You nice. have, I usually have to push the counters around, and the uh, charts are awesome. The, yeah, the guy you who put a bunch of pictures of those. Those look really good. Right. The guy, whoever did the graphic design on the charts, knows what he's doing. I mean, they really look good. Uh, and I, I think once you, you know, I don't even know if I'm doing a great job of explaining because the rules do such a good job. There, there are minor issues, I think, which, which some of which you can just clear up by reading some of the questions probably asked on BGG. Um, but I thought it was a really good game. My concern about it is, it is Totenkopf, which Totenkopf basically was on the left flank of Leap Standard. They attacked across the, the Cell River and then got a bridgehead and then were stopped. Hmm. Counterattack never got any further. Mm-hmm. So for hundred and fifty dollars, it's it's kind of the one you need. He's they're going to come out with Leap Standard, and then they're going to come out with Das Reich. And this is yeah. the beginning one for this, and it's kind of an important one that you, the other ones are kind of add-ons. Mm. Oh, that's and interesting. I, I don't know how much. I, I guess maybe it's exciting, but I don't know how much fun it is to just cross a river and fight. And like Totenkopf historically didn't do very well. In fact, the big problem was Leap Standard drove, uh, did a great job, but because Das Reich and Totenkopf did not uh, advance, their flanks were exposed. Mm-hmm. So they kind of went too far. Yeah, Leap Standard had huge problems because they, their, you know, all these units on their flanks were firing in on them because uh, Totenkopf and Das Reich weren't advancing. So. You know, I would have thought they would have started with Leap Standard, but I think maybe the reason they started with Totenkopf, and I don't know this for sure, is because they already had 11th Panzer done, and that's the next unit to the left mm. for Totenkopf. So I think it's just easier for so them to move. Moving their way up north? Yeah, east or north, yeah, to the, to the right. <clears throat> Excuse me, because the real great fighting happens with Leap Standard and later on with Army Detachment Kemp, which is even further southeast, because those units actually really made some great advances in, in the battle. And I think they were only uh, ultimately not successful because uh, the, of the invasion of Italy and the fact that Hitler then took the operational reserve away from Guderian. Uh, and then he was like, well, you know, what's the point of going any further if we're not going to exploit right. what it's doing? And what... What's the division you focus on in this battle? Totenkopf. Totenkopf, yeah. Uh, no, no not a, for this game, you personally. Me? Leap yeah. Standard. Leap Standard, yeah. They, they fought the Battle of Prokhorovka. That's the big battle. Prokhorovka, yeah, this, that's the one. one. Um, yeah, because I know this is kind of your area of so, interest. So for me, yeah, I'm going to probably buy the coupon for Leap Standard, which gives me like, for like $35, it gives me 70 off on the price for... Leap standard, right. which makes it basically like a $75 purchase, I think, instead of like a $110 purchase or something like that. <laughs> yeah, they get a, that, that's a pretty unique ordering system. Yeah, Chris is a good guy. I met him at Constant World. Really nice. Um, yeah. I think the game's a lot of fun. I think it's great, but I think if you're gonna, you gotta really be interested in the Eastern Front. And if you <laughs> are, 
then you, you, you're probably going to buy this game because you're interested in fighting the Battle of Prokhorovka. So it means you can learn with Totenkopf. And then when they come out with Leap Standard, which is probably going to be in August, you can then put them together and fight. Cause really, it's funny, you've got these, all these map sheets, but your, your divisional boundary is like a very narrow lane <laughs> in the map sheets. <laughs> so your units aren't allowed to go outside of those bounds for most of the map. So. Oh, so Totenkopf has all the maps in it? Is that what you're saying? No, Totenkopf has a bunch of maps. Uh, Leap Standard's going to add more maps, but okay. even on the maps you get with Totenkopf, a lot of them you can't move on because huh. it's not within your boundaries. Wow. That's interesting. So, you know, cool. I would say it's, it's, a, I, I thought the game's really good. I like the system. Um, I don't know if Totenkopf's going to be for everybody because it is, your options are basically the scenarios are you either attack left to, uh, link up with 11th Panzer or you're attacking across the river against tons of minefields and wire and entrenched Soviets. But there might be an argument that that's what Kursk is. But on the Prokhorovka side, really, there's more fun because Leap Standard, yeah, they're attacking defensive positions, but then they're counterattacked by Fifth Guard's tank army. So it turns into this big tank battle, an anti-tank gun battle. So it's not just trying to constantly pound through defenses. That That was the big mobile portion. Right, exactly. It's the big... It's the big, considered one of the biggest armor battles of right. World War II. So, um, so I would say I give, uh, I'll, I'll give the death, the death ride system an eight to an eight and a half. I really like the way the rules work. I love how while there's a lot of detail, it's not complex. It's not hard to understand. Uh, and I don't know if any other game does platoon level World War II better than this game. I think Panzer Grenadier, uh, has the same scale, but I hated that game. So, <laughs> so I think as far as platoon level, I think this might be the best one I've ever played as far as the rules. It's a great system. Um, I think if you're really interested in Prokhorovka, you should get Totenkopf and then get the coupon to get Leap Standard because you're not going to be able to play Leap Standard, I think, without Totenkopf because I think it's an add-on. So, <laughs> so that's it. If you've got, now I think I already uh, tricked Jim Corrali into buying this, so I think he already bought Totenko. Hope you enjoyed, Jim. <laughs> but I mean, I, think, I, I just put a bunch of reports up there and pictures because I wanted to see, tell, show guys how it looks. The counters look beautiful. The game looks great. It's fun to play, but um, there are some limits as to what you're going to be able to do with the Totenko game, I think, just because of the situation Totenko was in. Mm-hmm. So. so there you go. Yeah, it's it's pretty. Yeah. So beers again, I think pretty low. So I think you're by for me low means I guess high. I think you probably play with about six beers. Uh as far as fun of the game itself, I'd say it's about a seven. And uh but I'd say I'd give the death ride rules system about an eight and a half. So nice. And again, there's also modules you can add on that I haven't even played. So I haven't done where you go out and recover vehicles or you have medical companies or maintenance companies and all that stuff. So that's it. Maybe when you retire. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so somebody else have a review? Go ahead, Mitchell. You want me to go? Yeah. Alright, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do, uh, Prague, the Battles of the Age of Reason, the Prague, the Empty Triumph that just came out. Um, mostly because I play tested that one, so I'm, I'm very familiar with it, but I, I really like the Battles of the Age of Reason system. So, Prague itself, like almost all the games in the system, and you'll appreciate this, I know, Dave, the Labatai 
just them, the, the, the components are just gorgeous. I mean, the mats, they, they, they're awesome. They kind of have a weird kind of L-shaped footprint for Prague, but they're just, they're beautiful. They're, they're very well done. Tim Schleif did them and he's done, he did Dresda and Moskowa for a lot of tie and he also did, uh, Amateurs to Arms, I think. Mm. Um, so he's pretty good. He kind of take, took up the mantle from, uh, Rick Barber on the bar system and has done the maps and they're just, they're, they're beautiful. The plate, the play test art I got was fantastic to begin with and you can barely tell the difference between that and the, and the production ones. But, That's cool. you know, it, it's clear. Um, now like a lot of these battlefields, there are a lot of, it's a lot of open terrain anyway. Um, but where it's not, it, 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 uh, just, you know, you could frame it. They're, they're that pretty. Uh, and then the counters, of course, a lot like the Labatai counters, they have the right facings on there and the, the fronts are just pretty to look at and, you know, they have strength point movement on them and then you flip them over if you want the morale and, the, and some other pieces of information. Um, although you don't have to, you can use the loss charts that come with the game. Um, that way you can always leave the, the front of the counter on there, but they're, they're, uh, they're beautiful to look at too. So I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say, the components, I mean, the components themselves are just fantastic, and it's it's so, so Mitch. Mitch, yeah. when you're talking about loss charts, does that mean you don't have strength point markers? So you you have a choice, right? You it comes with these loss charts where you can just mark off the strength points as you take them. Oh, that's cool. Which, which, yeah, which is kind of cool because then you got fire war, right? Oh crap! Did I give that guy force loss points or two or whatever? Plus or you're not, you're not fucking around with all the stacks? Exactly right. And I mean, stacking is kind of easy because there's a limit anyway, and you want your guys to be spread out. But still, you're not picking it up and replacing it all the time, flipping it, and oh shit, I just threw that across the room because right. you know, <laughs> fat fingered. But uh, yeah, it's kind of neat that way. Um, so that's cool. And Matt Hinkle, who kind of took up the mantle for the bar series, um, the the guy who kind of did it, Paul. You know, he's around. He just kind of was busy doing other things, or whatever. So Matt Hinkle, Matthew Hinkle, took it up. Um, and has kind of taken the torch and, and put it forward. He's, and he's a very nice guy. Um, I, I like him, uh, quite a bit, but he, cause he's, he's always there. He's ready to answer questions. You know, he's, he'll go out of his way to do stuff. He's run several online blind games with the bar system and, um, just the nicest guy, but he's, he puts, he puts extras up on, on the, on his little support site for things, including, you know, color loss charts where the previous games only had black and white or, or what have you. So, that's kind of cool. It's nice. I like systems that have strong support, right? So the designer or the developer or whatever, they're on there constantly. They're answering questions. They're coming up with new stuff or, or providing things or whatever to make the game a little easier to play or whatever. I like that. Yeah, um, and, how's his BGG support? Uh, pretty much non-existent. Mm. See, there you go. That's <laughs> huh? So, I mean, like, it's great that I think that guys support Consum World, but if you're not going to support BGG, I think you're missing out on a lot of, like, well, new gamers. Yeah, I, I agree. I, but so other people kind of do that for him. So Paul posts uh, his quotes in there and stuff. Yeah, he'll, he'll, uh, I can't remember, damn, I can't remember his last name. He'll cross post the stuff from CSW and he'll put it on BGG. Matthew just doesn't write. I mean, it's just the way it is. Although I've seen him out there a couple of times. It, it, so if a guy posts a question on BGG, will Matthew answer it? Matthew won't, but either Paul or I will. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you guys are helping him out with that. Yeah, mostly Paul. <laughs> I just, I just, I just say, yep, that's a good answer. <laughs> Way to go. Yeah. So is Matthew uh, just not a fan of BGG? I, honestly, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. 
That's just one of my pet peeves. That's the only reason why. Yeah. Oh, yeah, one of, one of many. <laughs> yeah. Hey, so how does the activation work in the game? So, um, so gameplay, um, so there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people are just kind of shy away from it because the rules are kind of, I mean, granted, they're a little thick. They're 40-something pages, I think, but they're very well laid out, and they're very straightforward. Um, when you read through them, you're like, oh, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it, and then you put counters on and you start playing. So basically, activation is you each each player rolls a die, and uh, a high roll wins, right? And then you activate one of your commands. So all the arm, both armies are divided up into what are called commands and wings, and and you know you might have three infantry uh, battalions that are assigned to one commander. I move those three infantry battalions and do whatever I'm going to do with them, and then we roll again, right? And then you just kind of rinse and repeat, and you do that through the whole game. It, depending on how you roll, if I roll high enough over your initiative roll, I might be able to activate an entire wing. So I can take my wing leader, and as long as all my little command leaders are in his command range, I can move my whole wing of infantry and, and f- move and fight and fire and do everything I'm going to do with them. So that, that active, it's a very interactive sequence, um, which is kind of cool because you're not sitting around, you know, <laughs> waiting for somebody to move 42 different commands or whatever. Um, Unless but, he beats your roll every time. Well, sure, but yeah, <laughs> that doesn't happen all that often. But, now, um, is there a chance? That, so basically, every unit's going to get a chance to move by the end of the turn. Well, so maybe, right? So there's this end turn mechanic that if you roll high enough, you you march this little marker down the end turn track, <clears throat> and when you reach the end of the end turn track, only at that point you continue to roll for who goes. But at that point, you can only move if you're in road column and actually on a road. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So you can still fire. You could, I think you can still initiate close combat, but you can't move. Right? So it's kind of, it's, it just kind of simulates that that, that portion of the arbitrary turn is over. So there's, those are like admin moves are all the moves that are going to happen. Right, right. Exactly. So your reinforcements can, can continue to roll down the road or whatever. Um, but the operational stuff is, is done at that point. So, and you know, a lot of it is, is it, it's 18th century warfare. So it's very linear, linear. Mm-hmm. And even more so than the Labatai games, right? So um, Napoleon fixed all the problems that these guys had to deal with, right? Right. So, I think I joked that your formation choices are line or not in line. Right. <laughs> um, so, you can so be column and you can be in attack column and you can be in uh, a couple of different formations, but pretty much you're going to be in line for the most part, right? That's the combat formation. Now, as far as the uh, the actual battle they chose, how do you feel the the two sides match up? Give us a little background on. The, the, what the battle is and how you think the matchup is for the sides, like the oh, sure. for either side. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. So so bar itself, that that's bar. It's it's very it's very cool. Prague. So I have all the all the bar games, Lobositz and Colin and Zorndorf and all those. Prague, I think by far, and Fontenoy, which is the other kind of new one. That's actually the one that Matthew did. Uh, Prague, I think by far is the best one of a lot, and that's primarily because. So the, the situation around Prague, uh, Charles, Archduke Charles is sitting in front of the city and, and Frederick rolls up and says, you know, this is, it, so Charles is entrenched in front of the, the main approach, right? So Frederick rolls up, does a little recon and like he usually does says, well, we're going to go around the side, right? Yeah. <laughs> Take him to the flank. That's what <laughs> I, um, and so the way that it's handled in the game, which is kind of cool, there's this off map. Uh, movement thing, which is open, you know, both players can see it. 
but the Prussian player can move around the edge of the map and then enter at any any point along there. And so it's kind of this race and this guessing game and this uh, almost like a chicken, right, game of chicken between the Austrian and the Prussian as to where the Prussian's going to come in and the Austrian's kind of rapidly trying to move troops to the right so that they can face face the Prussians as they come in. Some of his troops, some of the Austrian troops are already there because Marshal Brown is over there and he, he you know, so Archduke Charles is sitting over there with his thumb up his ass while Brown's saying, hey, you know what, they're marching around our flank. Right. You know, he's already got his guys kind of lined out, but his he's only got one portion of the army. He's got a detachment of the army. And, that, he, and that's really cool because, I mean, and for guys who aren't familiar with the Seven Years' War, like the initial Prussian army, the, the well-drilled early war Prussian army, one of their big strengths was they could deploy out of line of uh, their their column of march rapidly. Correct. So, so Frederick was great, especially when he had terrain that would block where he was coming from. He'd see you all lined up in your prepared linear formation, and then he would just march around and then immediately deploy on your flank and attack, and he could do it right. rapidly. Right. And so the the beauty of the bar system, right, that's all reflected in the formation charts. So it costs it costs different movement points to go from line to column or column to line, you know, and, and depending on whether you're going to the right or the left, it costs more, right? And that's just that part of that is the way that they train their troops, right? Because right. The, the the one guy who was on the front right of the march column, when you went into line, he had to be on the front left of the line, and that's right. just the way it was, right? And so you would do all this counter marching, and and you guys are you guys know what a counter march was like, right? Because you, you drilled on the drill field, and mm-hmm. that's, I mean it, it's a nightmare. Well, that they would do that in front of the enemy. So depending on whether they were going in the line to the right or going in the line to the left, it would take a different and varying varying amount of time. So that's reflected in these formation charts and formation change charts. And the Prussians, of course, usually can change from column to line. Either way, much faster than their opponent. And so right. that's reflected into the game, which is very cool. And, this is, this uh, is early war, right? This is, what's progress? Yeah, 1757? Yeah, this is 1757. So this yeah. is after Frederick invaded, uh, Saxony in 56 and he, you know, decimated or captured the Saxon army and impressed all the Saxon troops and, and all that good stuff. And so this is the next campaign season. He decides he's going to invade Bohemia. So he marches on Prague and Charles is there with his little army and, and, uh, Don is off, off gathering the, the rest of the troops. So they meet in front of Prague and, and Prague is a pretty important city, right? So if it falls, that's, that's bad. No, that's really cool. I, I was curious to see how they would work because especially with the early part of the war before he started losing a lot of the guys who had been in his original right. pre-war army, I was curious how they would give the Prussians that advantage of that pre-deployment mm-hmm. edge they have. Yeah. So it's kind of baked into the whole formation change thing. Um, and then, and then a little bit in the, so on the, on the hex grid, when you're moving forward, you have to alternate hexes because, I mean, part of it is due to the hex grid, right? Um, but if you don't alternate hexes when you're moving forward, say you just move like a, a in a diagonal line or obliquely is what they call it. Mm-hmm. Some of the Prussians don't pay extra movement for that, but everybody else does. So they, that's, that, that's kind of another indication of that better training. Right. They could do that and still maintain their formation because, you know, in the Seven Years' War at this time, formation was everything. You needed to stay in your perfectly dressed line because, because otherwise you were just, you stood a chance of being broken easily. So the, right? so the idea is the Prussians can maybe overlap an opponent's flank by obliquing? Potentially, yeah. So, 
And it's kind of, and that's, so what's nice about Prague and why I think it's one of the best one is a lot of the times those situations, these, these tactical games, it's, it's, the battle's already set and you're just kind of coming together and you're fighting, right? Right. Here, the players actually get to play the commander and they get to make the choices and the, the end result of the battle is going to depend on that choice they made of when to move and when to enter the map like 10 turns ago, <laughs> you know? That's so cool. that, that's kind of cool. I, and I like that in, in the game. And it, and it also, in that respect, it, it allows this game to be played many, many, many times with totally different results, which I like. Now, how, um, how long do you think it takes to play the game? I mean, there, there's different scenarios. Yeah. Well, so the, there's a couple of small scenarios, right? There's an infantry only scenario and there's a, um, cavalry only scenario. And those are the third scenario that kind of combines the two. And those, but those are more small learning scenarios. That's really to get you into the game, get you to figure out how to maneuver the units and all that kind of stuff. And they're useful and they're very cool and they're fun in their own right, but they're not the same experience as the full game. But the full game is going to take a while. Um, there's just, there's a ton of units and you got to move them all and you, you know, combat, combat can take a while. If you're, if you're, once you're fully engaged and you got your line right up next to the other guy's line, you're just doing close combat after close combat. It can, that, that one turn is going to take a while. But so close combat in this game, and that's basically, you know, a charge, bayonet charge, or just really close musket fire. Sure. It's deadly and it's decisive. So when you engage in close combat, one of you is running. Guaranteed. There's no, oh yeah, you're locked in combat for the next three turns. At, by the end of that close combat, one of you has routed and you're gone. We're not gone, but you're running off the field, hopefully to be recovered later, right? So that that one turn might be bad, but after that, it's just going to be a free for all. So it's kind of cool. Um, but the bar games themselves, I mean, just they're they're fun to play. If you like that 18th century thing, uh, you, you can't miss out on on these games. They're just awesome. So uh, as far as fun, one to ten, uh, I would put it right at a nine and a half. Wow, nice. Wow, and it's, beautiful, it, right? Beautiful oh, game. Man. I, you know, <laughs> I, I saw them at Consum World. They look great. Don't they? Yeah, beautiful. Just fantastic looking game. And the gameplay, so, I'll caveat that. If you like 18th century warfare, they are fantastic games. It's everything you expect out of that level or that period of warfare at the tactical level. Uh, beers? Can you play it with beers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Zero yeah, beers? Zero beers. No. I, well, your first time, you better not be having, having a beer or two. But after you, after you know the system, yeah, it's a three or four beer game. Okay. Well, right. What do you think of that, Jason? That was a pretty good review. Yeah. That was like a Lucas style review. I dig That's it. Good. Lucas Ooh. doesn't like it to get too gritty. He wants just, so it's a, it's a must buy. Yeah. Yeah. He, he wants a yay or nay. Yeah. And and they made a primer, right, to help out with the rules. I have the they, primer. So. They did. The primer, so the primer is cool because it kind of explains the rules. The, the rules, the rules are bare, right? I mean, they tell you what you need to do, but they don't explain a lot of it. So you can, you can play with the rules, but the, the expander, uh, the expander, the primer just kind of expands on that. This nighttime, this Lagunitas nighttime is very good. <laughs> uh, it, uh, it just kind of expands on it. It gives a little bit of it, of, corner cases and oh you know if you didn't think about this there's where you might want to use this formation or not this formation or whatever so it's pretty cool the the best thing about it is it provides the update counters for all the older games in the system which 
you know, if you didn't own the other games, then it's <laughs> it's kind of silly. But um, that doesn't make sense because if you have the games, you probably don't need the primer. True. It's hmm. it's how they get you but, to buy the primer. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, but I mean, even so, it's a nice it, gesture. Yeah, it it does help. I mean, the primer is longer than the rules, right? So, but it's but, very. But let, me, let me mention this real quick. The primer does not come with the rules. No. So oh, do not do what I did and buy the primer, out. thinking that you're going to be able to read the rules, because no. you will be very upset and it can lead to some rage. Do they yeah. not provide the rules online? They do. Oh, they do. Okay. For six bucks. Oh, right. That's interesting. So the, yeah, not free. Yeah, I mean, you know, controversy, uh, whatever. I mean, you know, Labatai, the rules are free. Sure. For, for also this, suck, but this you know, game not. They also no. suck. Is that what you said? No, <laughs> I did say it, but I don't actually mean that. I actually like the Labatai games. Yeah, take that back, uh, right, now, Mitch. Take that back. <laughs> I did take it back. But take you gotta, it back. Uh, which set of rules you want to use first? But uh, no. Now, it, now let me say, once you, know, you buy, once you buy them, though. Don't you get free updates? Yes. Once you buy them, you're, you're locked into the free. So I think they're already on like 3.2 or something. And if you bought it once, then you get the update for, for the rules. So well, uh, yeah, six bucks for, you know, I don't know what you want to call it. Eternal updates. Yeah. Well, I mean, cause basically what happened with me is I, I was interested in Monmouth. So I emailed yep. Clash of Arms and said, Hey, just wanted to find out. I, I don't know if the, I saw the rules aren't available. If I buy Monmouth, Will there be a new set of the rules included? And I got some kind of like robot response from, uh, Clash of Arms, whoever their customer service robot is, who basically uh-huh. said like, the rules are available on this website, you can buy them. Huh. So. See, that's, that's weird. I mean, I, I don't know a whole lot about how Clash of Arms works. I, I don't think they're very big. I mean, Ed Wimble, he's Clash of Arms as far as I know, he's the only one there, but, um, it's usually well, his robot was not very friendly, right? Well, you know, it's like a lot of those guys; they're East Coasters, yeah. right? So um, some of the times they're just they're just a little bit more abrupt, or they seem a little bit more abrupt than than we're kind of used to. But wow, Mitch, you're really judgy because like you're, you're you're talking about the East Coasters, and then you were talking about the the left coasters. Oh yeah, screw you all! If you're not in the middle, then <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, that sounds good. I think we've uh, Jason. You have a review. I do. Mitch, are you done with that one? I'm done. I'm finished. Great job. Mitch? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chime in on Jason. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, awesome. Yes. Keep drinking. Uh, yes. Feel free to participate in Jason's review. Yep. Jason, you're on. I will be leaning on you. So I'm going to be ah. talking about uh, Storm Over Dan Van Fu. Um, before I get too far into it, I do want to give a shout-out to Lord Jesse on the guild. Uh, he actually made the Vassal module for it, which has allowed Mitchell... And me to play it together. Yes. After he got whipped with wet noodles, but. which is very handy. Yeah, three times. One of did, which you, was did you pay him for that? Aborted. Uh, he he got paid more than we got paid to do this. Yeah. Have you have you explained to him yet that getting fifty percent of our salaries means he has to pay us twenty four dollars? Yeah, negative twenty four dollars <laughs> a year. <laughs> yeah. So Stormer Stalingrad is uh, it's an MMP yep. game. Dan Ben Fu. Dan Ben Fu using the Storm Over Stalingrad system, which is what I was trying to say. Uh, so if you've played Storm Over Stalingrad, Dave, you're, you're gonna be pretty familiar with this game. It uses the same system and it's, it's pretty similar 
Um, I'll, I'll note a couple differences kind of going forward. But if that if that doesn't mean anything to you, it's basically an area game. Uh, it's an area impulse game. So units uh, can basically do one thing, and then they're they're spent for the turn. Uh, the things they can do for the French is move and fire. Uh, for the Viet Minh, I guess we should also say this is the, the French-Indochina War in 19... This takes place kind of, was it April to May 1954? Right, 1954. <laughs> um, so the, the French can move and fire. The Viet Minh can move, fire... They can also assault, and they can also what the game calls sap, which is basically digging trenches. Uh, they have to have trenches in order to assault out of. So that's what that's what those are. But so each unit or a stack of units can do one thing, and then they're spent for the turn. Uh, the turn goes back and forth like that, with each player doing one thing, spending those units, and then going back and forth um, until. The French player passes, and then the Viet Minh player passes. Uh, one of the interesting things about the game is the the Viet Minh player can pass, and if the French player wants to continue playing, they have to discard a card. Uh, and cards in the game are a very scarce resource. Um, they they kind of let you do special actions. Um, so there's like mines or surprise assault kind of cards, artillery. So, so typically, how many cards will each player have in his hand? You start with six. Um, the Viet Minh, I think, goes automatically down to four or five. Four, uh, yeah, four, and then they get five later. Four, and then five later. The the, the French start with... Um, it's it's They're listed as four, but if you control certain areas on the map, you get additional cards, much like Storm over Stalingrad. Um, so the French start with six, and they have to hold areas. And by the end of the game, uh, their their original allocation is only three. So the French are getting kind of more and more strung out as, as the game goes along. Okay, um, cool. But so the Viet Minh have a built-in way to kind of make the French player expend their resources uh, right. to, to continue with, with their... I, I would say assault, but it's the French are basically on defense. So if you're not familiar with the conflict, the the French kind of arbitrarily picked this airfield out in the middle of nowhere, um, and said oh, we're going to make a stand here. And the Viet Minh said, "No, you're not. We're going to dig you out of there." Uh, and it ended up being kind of the last major battle of the war. Well, well, did the Viet Minh say no, you're not, or did they say thank you very much? <laughs> yeah, I think it was a little of both. Yeah, because the French basically above. said, "Hey, let's recreate the Battle of Sedan yeah. in Vietnam." Yeah, you are. Hey, we're gonna come out here and let you surround us. Yeah, yeah. Basically, we. It's it's, it's the old. This is the toilet, and we are the shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we have an airfield, so we are invulnerable. <laughs> yeah, um, that ended up not being the case. <clears throat> so the game lasts for eight turns. Um, this is kind of my one sticking point about the game. There's no auto-victory. I mm. like auto-victories. I like to be able to strive for something to kind of knock out my opponent sooner or Oh, so it's going to go full length no matter what. No matter what. It's eight turns. Um, I think playing face-to-face, -face, it'll last about four hours. Um, I think Mitch and I were averaging about 30 minutes a turn. Um which isn't bad. You can play it in an evening. And I think once you kind of got really familiar, you could go a little bit faster, but about four hours. Um, combat's really straightforward. 
you add up all of the attacking attack factors, and there's uh, you take the defender's highest defense. So even if there's nine units in an area, just the highest defense matters. Um, so you take that plus whatever terrain bonus you get, which is a number between one and three, uh, and then you roll two dice. That gets added to the attack factor. Uh, the defense is subtracted from that, and then that's the number of steps that have to come out. Now, generally, I assume, like, while the French could attack, they're normally, what, going to be attacking to take back areas? Or to kind of soften up where the the Viet Minh are going to assault out of. Okay. Yeah. Um, So one thing with it is when when you fire, you get marked as having fired. So you're basically giving up your position. You're showing your opponent, hey, I'm here. I'm I'm shooting at you from here. So then you don't get your terrain bonus anymore. Or your terrain defense bonus. And, and are so like some of the cool. cards, are some of the cards like historical cards? Mm-hmm. So like what are some examples of some of the cards? So some of the big ones are artillery, um, you know, calling in airstrikes, which aren't very effective as they weren't. Um, one of the fun ones is the mobile bordello. You call in the, the hookers and they boost morale, which all of the spent units in one area get to flip back over to refresh. They've had a, a 15-minute R&R, right. and they can continue fighting. Which, um, as we discussed, is kind of backwards. But. Yeah, yeah. 15 um, minutes? What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, for the days of you. <laughs> well, they were in a hurry. <laughs> yeah, they, they have a war to fight. Uh, what are some other ones? Uh, well, Bigger like demands... Bigger refuses to leave. Yeah, refuses to leave, which lets you kind of soak off losses. Giap demands success, which uh, right. when you're assaulting, he's going to he's saying, no, you have to take this area, so you get right. to re-roll your dice. Um, well, so one of the... One of the Jason, one, remember one of the big things about assaulting is every time the Viet Minh assault, they have to eliminate a guy. Right, yep. They, they automatically yep. take a loss. And... That's the only time you take losses attacking at all in this game. So firing, you don't take losses. It's not back and forth. It's you attack, the other player is either going to take step losses or they're not. You don't actually, there's no attacker uh, losses. So what are the, what sorts of units are available to the French? Or like the, didn't they have like Thai troops? Yeah, they, they have, they have Thais and they're, the Thai troops are um, subject to the Viet Minh propaganda, which oh, so make like, them just I remember, automatically I remember disappear. the battle. They would all go flee down by the the riverbank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. the, the rats of yeah something or other. Rats, yep. rats of Yam Num. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the cards. Oh, um, cool! That's really cool. There's anti-aircraft, which isn't really in play, but it has a strong defense. Uh, there are armor units uh, which have a decent decent attack and really good defense, but they're kind of hard to move around the board. Um, there's paratroopers. They, it's the the counters all have unit designators on them, but it's not like the typical Viet Minh unit is like a one eight three. So it's a one attack, eight defense, and or no one eight two, and then two movement. And the typical French is either like a one eight three or a two nine three kind of thing. So even though they're re- representing different types of units, it's it's pretty abstracted to kind of ease play. So um, the two is. Their offensive capability? Right, two is the and, attack. And then nine is their defense? Yep. Wow, yep. they're a lot stronger on defense. Right, yep. Um, and 
and and that comes into play because you're only using one defensive factor. Okay. You're you're not adding them all up. One defensive unit defense. Right. The greatest defensive number is all you use for that entire the area. highest value in the space. In yeah. the can can the French win? Yes. Yes. And how how do they win? They 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 can. So th- there are nine beat, victory Vietnam. point spaces. Uh, the Viet Minh have to take six of them by the end of turn eight. Um, if they don't do that, the French win. So the French win by default by surviving um, till turn nine. Right. 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 <laughs> until past the the seventh of May or the fourteenth of May, whenever it is. When the Americans come in and save them. <laughs> Um, so yeah, each, each turns a week. I didn't mention that. It doesn't really matter. It's, it's pretty abstracted. You just go until either all of the units are spent, which then you have to pass, um, or until both players just pass because there's nothing else they want to do. And now you guys have played this game. So let me just ask you both of you this. Is there, do you think there's particular strategies that are winning strategies for either side? I think so. Um, Mm -hmm. well, I, I think for the Viet Minh, there's a there's a winning strategy. For the French, you're just kind of trying to find a foothold and hold on to it. Right. Um, I think I think there are a couple of hard decision points for the French, like how long do you hold Gabrielle? Up north, yeah. It is one right, which is one of the northern uh, strong points, and then and then the other one is when do you commit your armor to do something, right? Because those are your big powerful units, but. Yeah, and then the Viet Minh, you know, you, you you start up you start up on the northern side of the map, but all the VP positions are on the southern side of the map, so you have to start moving south pretty quickly if you want to win. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> so for the Viet Minh, it's it's about attacking in the right place, um, and then holding on to it. And the Viet Minh is, or for the for, for the French, it's kind of cutting your losses, or <laughs> do I give up? my extra card to reinforce down south. Um, there's a lot of kind of key decision points for a fairly simple game. Yes. Which is, which is kind of what I like. And that, that's one thing, Mitchell, I did want to ask you is you like 40 page rule books. You like really complex mm-hmm. games, but I know this is a game you really enjoy. Yes. Yeah. I really like it. Mostly. Well, like you said, it's all about the decision making. I mean, the, the rules are, 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 I mean, relatively dirt simple, right? Mm-hmm. But decision yeah, like six pages, eight pages. Yeah, exactly. But the decision making in the game is incredible because it, it you know, it, it almost feels like every single impulse counts. If like, you, if you, so you, you, you feel like you're having to make. Do you feel like you're having to make the decisions of the guys who you're playing, the characters oh, yeah. no, who you're, sure. you're playing yeah. in the game? Absolutely. And it, you, you can screw up one or two and be okay, but. You know, if you just make a string of bad decisions, it's it's just all going to come crumbling down. That's cool. I mean, I I know guys who've listened to podcasts have probably heard me talk about it before, but one of my questions when I'm playing the game is, who am I in the mm-hmm. game? You know, that's why sometimes I have trouble with Labatai, and maybe uh, Prague is the same a little bit because you're the army commander, but you're also deciding what formations the battalions are in and making right. all these decisions. It's sometimes cool to play a game where you're really just making the choices that you have to make for your role. You yep. know who you are, you know, mm-hmm. and that sounds like one of these games. And and it is. It's the the communications was still pretty good, even though you know the French had their wires cut a lot. They they could still kind of get information to all of the units. So you're playing that high level role of okay, let's let's 
as the street racers go by. Um, yeah, that wasn't me. Yeah, that yeah you guys have dueling street yeah. racers. Ooh. Um, you know, okay, it's time to cut out of there, or the the airfield is is a wash. Let's get out of there and and consolidate our our resources and kind of right. try to try to hold on to the areas that count. And that's that's another weird sticking point that the main airfield it in the real battle it it fell pretty quickly um or it was not effective uh past i think like the second or third week of the battle but the area the areas that count for victory points are kind of this is it that it's the, it's the bottom of the map but it's really kind of the east it's like the southwest portion. right um, south. southeast yeah yeah and some of them, there aren't even strong points there, right? Which is kind of a strange thing. Um, but yeah, it was weird that the the airfield doesn't count as right. It's just supply, which is abstracted right. into cards or a, a single card. Um, but it doesn't count for victory, which is which is kind of weird. But you know, it, I, I think it was more. It's more reflecting that if the Viet Minh got into those spaces, then it's going to be an easy jump over to the airfield. Um, well, I think the strange thing about the game is whether they lasted the turn nine or turn ten or turn eleven, the French were ultimately going to lose the yeah, battle. Right. Yeah. So I guess or it's turn just a six of, or turn seven. It's a question of can you do better than the French did historically? Yeah. Can you last right. longer? Exactly. Yeah. It's that kind of a game, which I tend not to like. Um, I mean, I'm a big fan of the subject matter for this game, <laughs> so so there's that. But but I think it does a good job of reflecting um, what actually happened. So yeah. Legion War Games has a game coming out sometime this year about the same battle. And I've had a couple of people ask because I I, ha- I played that at Console World. And a couple of people have asked like, you know, which one would you recommend? Which one's better? Um, and I think I think. Sp- uh, Storm over Dan Van Fu does a better job of reflecting what uh, the, the position the French were in. The French are pretty hamstrung. There are spaces on the board that the French cannot go um, because they wouldn't have gone there. Um, it's also very easy to play. There's a low barrier to entry for rules and for time and all that stuff. The Legion game probably reflects it more from a, simula- a tactical simulation. Um, but Storm Over does a, does a better job strategically of, of the big picture of, of what was actually happening. So, I mean, it sounds like they, they, they made a, a fun four hour game that puts you in the same position as the, your historical counterparts, gives you the feel for the battle without adding too much complexity or making it too exactly. much effort to play. Yep. Yep. Which is great. I mean, it's, it's a win all around. That's great. All right. So one to ten. What do you think? I'll give it an eight. And beers. What about you, Mitchell? What would you give it? Oh yeah, eight, eight, solid eight. Yeah, no. um, so, despite the fact that Mitchell and I played a couple rules wrong, um, I was screwing up my French supply rolls, and I think we ignored a couple, um, a couple movement point factors. I would still give it about a ten for beers. Um, yeah. Wow. We, nice. Yeah, it's easily because even though we we did screw up. Um, I think we were both moving around a little bit more than we should have been able to because you have to, the enemy being in the area you're in counts 
another movement point to go into or out of that space. Um, even screwing that up, it's not going to affect the game that much. Um, so you can be pretty well lit and still have a good time with the game. Yep. Which That's is cool. really, these days, what I'm looking for. <laughs> <laughs> Between all my other extracurricular activities. So, Jason, uh, besides D&B and Foo, what other games have you played in the past month? Uh, that's it. Oh, my lord. Yep. Just, it's, just Twister? Married Twister? Not even, yeah. Yeah. Alright. Uh, what, what about you, Mitch? Have, what, what games have you played this month? Me? Well, obviously next war Taiwan is testing, but Thunder Alley. A lot of Thunder Alley. Um, we played that a couple times. I played a game of Flight Leader. I don't know if you remember that one or are familiar with that one. That was kind of cool. Um, what else have we played? Played, uh, Bar Prague with Lucas. That was pretty cool. Oh, cool. So how's Lucas doing getting used to the game? He loves it. He, uh, <laughs> he was killing me. Like, I bought Prague, so then I bought Lovacit, so then I bought the Primer, so then I bought... Nice. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, Dude! That sounds about right. <laughs> so he's killing me. He was killing me. Um, and then I think that's it for this month. Yeah. I, sh- I should mention, I forgot, I, I've been playing on Vassal. I've been playing 1989 with uh, Mike Hagerty. Mm. Whatever. I forgot about that one. What, the whatever is not for Mike. It's more for the game. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, I love Mike. Mike's a good Mike's, game. Mike's okay. my, my boy. Yeah, that's cool. We're, we're good. Mm-hmm. We're, and, and again, Messy Game Room. Mm-hmm. Always listen to their stuff. We love them. One of my favorite podcasts. Uh, love Marshall. Love Mike. Great guys. Great guys. So uh, uh, I've got two games of Liberty Roads going on right now, and it's kind of accidental because I wanted to play Hoplite with Ralph. But, uh, at, then I realized as we were getting ready to play, uh, the, the Vassal module hadn't come out yet. Well, yeah, that'll, that'll so stop so, you playing on Vassal. So spoiled on modules that I just kind of assumed. <laughs> so I basically tricked Ralph into playing Liberty Roads, which is a World War II game. Uh, not as bad as if I'd made him play a Civil War game, but it, you know, World War II is American Civil War game. Right. right. That's correct. American Civil War. So, um, I'm, I'm basically in that game, I'm the, I'm the allies, Ralph's the Germans. I've already mentioned that, uh, Ralph already had a moment where he almost crippled me, and I think mm. he might have, uh, <laughs> just felt bad for me. So I landed in Normandy, I've, uh, been doing okay advancing, and I've, uh, recently also made a landing in, uh, the, in southern France from the Mediterranean. So that's what that game's doing in Liberty Roads. Uh, then I've also played a game with my best friend Greg, who was supposed to come and play face-to-face Hoplite, but uh, got sick, so we instead played Liberty Roads on Vassal, nice. and uh, Greg was the allies, and he decided mm. to land in western France uh, near St. Malo instead <laughs> of Normandy. That's cool. So he lands over there, and so he, because he had Enigma, he managed to take Lorient from me without me... Uh, Expecting it. Oh, that's cool. You know, I'd festooned up, which really pissed me off. <laughs> then I left the fucking headquarters without a garrison, and he ran his armor around because there's no zone of control movement rules, and overran my headquarters, which put my entire army group out of supply for two turns. That's awesome. Perfect. So that was a huge disaster, but even despite that disaster, I've almost managed to reestablish a line, um, kind of along, uh, Sword Beach going south to kind of keep mm. the allies back. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing is because Greg had to put Pluto so far west to uh, convert the port at Lorient, 
now in his he's advanced east, but he's out of range of his supply, so he can't use a lot of the really good support markers because he's too far away from Pluto. <laughs> so his his decision is: does he move Pluto or does he keep Pluto far to the left to convert all those ports to get more support markers? So the, what the games really show about the Liberty Roads is it's incredible that you can have a game where first of all you can land on any beach you exactly. want. Exactly. Yep. Which is awesome. But the real interesting thing is you have two players that are playing the same game that have problems that are completely different from each other. Yep. <laughs> so the allied player is stressing out over uh, how many support markers he's getting in, how many ports he's converted, where his supply lines are, where is Pluto, how can he move Pluto. Meanwhile, the German is just desperately trying to get reinforcements up, build a defensive line, and uh, hope that Hitler doesn't hate him. <laughs> so Which he, he will eventually. It, it, it's amazing. Like the, the, I, I got to say, like you, you're playing the you, two guys are playing the two different games at the same time when you play the game, yeah. and it really is is a beautiful design that I love how they did it. Um, yeah. and, and it's funny because the combat system is pretty simple. It's yeah. basically the just rules are odds. pretty simple. Yeah, the odds, and then you can manipulate your tactical results, but the turns take way longer than you think they should, and it's just because the players are agonizing over what they have to decide to do. Yeah. Mm. So it's not like, it, it's, it's nothing to do with the complexity, but I'm always like, oh, we should be able to knock out like four turns tonight. Yeah, no. We end up doing a turn and a half because you end up sitting there like, oh, fuck, what am I supposed to do with this guy? Right. Yeah. See, those are the best games right there. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a fantastic game. And I was actually looking at getting Round Hammer, and Mitch had tipped me off to a guy who was selling a bunch of stuff, but it just ended up being too expensive. Yeah, so Round Hammer is like, Round Hammer is like the 1943 invasion, so, but I passed on it because it was too much. So, then I'm playing, uh, ASL, uh, starter kit with John. Uh, we're having a blast. We're doing Decision at Elst. Uh, in fact, we played for an hour before, uh, we did the podcast. And part of it is just because John's a great guy and he's a blast to play with. John's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, but but there's something about the game, ASL, that's just a lot of fun to play. So we're enjoying it, going through, puzzling through the rules. I'm playing Quattro Bra, La Bataille, with Jim Corrali. And uh, my Cav ran, overran a bunch of his batteries, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, he blew off the head of, of my one of my cavalry brigade commanders with a canister shot, so that was not cool. Uh, terrible host because he was hosting that game. That's your guess. So I thought I was going to do really well with that charge, and it ended up that he could turn his guns, and they just completely blasted the shit out of my brigade leader. So then uh, now I'm down a light cavalry brigade commander. Oops. Because one of the cool things about La Bataille is if you have a good commander, uh, his good modifier for you, if he dies, becomes a bad modifier for the morale check. So the oh. better the leader... When he gets killed, the worst chances you're gonna, like basically if Ney is your commander and he gets killed, your unit is almost guaranteed to run away afterwards. Cause they're like, that's like a stud. <laughs> it was like LeBron James. <laughs> he just got killed. Nice. Sorry to make a LeBron James reference. Yeah, you should be ashamed of yourself. Older war gamers now are, are really angry with me. But they probably left after the first F-bomb, so they probably aren't even sitting there. Yeah, fuck those guys. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, uh, those are the games. I've got so many games. You're busy. So many yeah. games I want to play. Um, I, I'd like to play OCS with Jeff Reeves if he ever gets a chance to do that. Um, I'm setting up Last Chance for Victory because I'm going to play that with the duck. 
Mm. So I tore down Death Ride because I just had to move move it off the big table so I could put Last Chance for Victory up. So uh, that's the uh, Dean Essig Gettysburg game, which you, I'm really looking forward to. You guys are going to play it on Vassal, or are you going to play it on... No, we're going to play it on Vassal. Okay. Uh, but you're I want to set it up anyway. Right, of course, because I'm like, oh, there's a bunch of small scenarios. What am I? Oh, I think I'll do the second day of the entire Battle of Gettysburg. So oh, that's, that's cool. That's currently, so, and it's kind of cool because when you set it up, you start to realize, wow, how far out was Sickles? Mm. <laughs> Look how full deployed he was, you know. But right. he's kind of a shield against the attack. So it's cool. So I'm getting excited about that. So those are the games I've got going on right now. So not much. Just been hanging out. Yeah. Laid back. Yeah. But I'm, I'm barren. So pretty much that's what I do now. I'm not fertile like Jason. So I can work. <laughs> it's glorious. Uh, Mitch, do you have another review? No. Okay. You have any games coming? Hello. Up? You're gonna so play? Thunder Alley, the guild mm-hmm. game is next Thursday. That'll be fun. Do you have any war games you're gonna play? Uh, OCS is set up. Funny you should mention that, Dave. We're going to start playing that. We're going to play the first Kharkov uh, battle from Case Blue. Oh, that's great. That's a good battle. Yep. That's the one I played with Jeff I, to kind of oh. show him the system when we first met on the guild. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Leap Sendart is only a brigade, not a division. No, it's really good. That's a that's a good uh, intro scenario for the system. Yeah. It's it's kind of low counter density, but a lot of maneuver space. So we're right. looking it's really good. And then in August, Jeff Reeves is actually coming out to my area, so he's going to come by. We're going to play some face-to-face. Oh, that's cool. Awesome. Uh, well, I have another review real quick. Uh, I know uh, I know, guys <clears throat> traffic really want this to wrap up so they can drive the last 15 minutes in peace and quiet to their works. They, uh, I need, they need fuel. Uh, and a, I get this wash. one done. It's Hoplite. I ordered Hoplite. Oh. I played Hoplite. Serious? Is everyone still there? I'm uh, here. Can you hear me? Yeah. That was weird. Can you hear me? Yes. There you know. You're so. good rides and commercial. Can I start now? Or please? Okay, so I, I I'm reviewing Hoplite. Huh. Great great battles of history. Yep. So it's uh <laughs> warfare in the Greco Persian age. And, uh, th- you know, this is a, a big series, but this is the latest uh, edition to come out for the GBOH uh, series. And do we and, know anyone associated with this game? Uh, no. no. It's Richard Berg and Mark Herman. Those are the those are the designers. We're not the podcast with Mark Herman on it? No, we're not. Okay. No, they didn't use Ralph for this one. So. <laughs> That's a deducted minus one off the fun rate. <laughs> Um, and so basically what it is is it's a bunch of different battles. Uh, it's focused, obviously, since it's called Hoplites. The, the main players in this game are going to be Hoplite warriors. Sure. And uh, it's pretty cool. It's, uh, it's, it's a simpler system than the old systems that they had, where now it's kind of chit-pull-based. So it's like uh, Chariots of Fire. So you're going to pull chits, and there's a momentum chit to, to decide when each command's going to activate. Um, the hoplites are interesting because they're kind of amateur fighters. So kind of when they see the enemy, you have to roll to see if they're going to walk, trot, or run towards their opponents. And that's all at different speeds. You guys there? Yep. Okay. Yep. So good. you can, so you never tell We're what. We're a wrapped audience. Yeah, right. You guys are just riveted. Uh, so, uh, you can never tell at what speed. So the hoplite lines will kind of start to break up as they run towards each other. Hmm. 
No, I'm, and then, I'm, yeah, that sounds fascinating. Like, oh, it's cool. And then, but it's only the first time, I think. So after that one impact, then they, they'll follow mm -hmm. and move normally. So running is good because you kind of get a bonus for impacting, uh, the, the enemy for the first combat. And then you kind of get locked into this linear battle of these phalanxes that are fighting against each other. And you roll and they do damage to each other. And then once they reach a certain point where their, their hits get too high, you have to start doing basically morale checks. And certain units will run, flee away from the battle line. And so you, you basically get this big line of, of uh, locked phalanxes. And then as guys start to flee, you can maybe flank other phalanxes. So you can never really tell how the battle's going to go. Um, if you have a particular unit that's good or you make a good morale roll, say you have a unit that's got, I forget what the, the I, I played it like a couple weeks ago, but you might have a certain number for your quality, your troop quality, and it might be a six. And if your hits go to eight, then there's a chance you're going to route, you have to roll. But if you pass the roll, then it goes back down to five below your number. So you kind of reset yourself by passing your morale check. So the, 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 the hits can go on and on as long as you keep passing your morale checks. Do you understand that? Yep. Okay. So just because you have a ton of hits doesn't mean you're going to automatically run. It can mean sometimes that you'll pass a morale check and then your hits actually, basically it's like your cohesion. You're losing cohesion. Yep. So, uh, you can have these really long struggles, but it seems real. It feels like a really realistic fight is these, uh, these uh, hoplite units struggle with each other. So I thought it was fun. I think it plays pretty quickly. I played one of the uh, the beginning scenarios, uh, and, and after a couple turns, I think it's like maybe a five-turn scenario, but after turn two or three, the game was over because the hoplite line for one side had been shattered. Mm -hmm. And and then you get on the battles between Persians and hoplites and hoplite versus hoplite battles. They've got a big uh, square counter for the... Uh, like the, the Thebes as their big powerful unit that can move in. Oh, that's so. cool. Yeah, it like covers up like nine hexes or something. Yeah, so if you like GBOH, it's a good game. Uh, I, I, I haven't explored it too much because they just came out with a Vassal version, but it does play, uh, basically the, the, the system is very similar to the one of, of, uh, Chariots of Fire with the chip poles. It's no longer with line commands and all that stuff that you have to worry about. So I recommend it. I give it a eight. Um, I, I like Chariots of Fire, but you know, I wasn't really into the chariot tactical combat. The hop like be a pain in the ass after a little bit, right? Yeah, it's very skirmishy, and trying to keep runners with chariots was irritating. But this is very straightforward, and I like it because, frankly, um, it's just sometimes fun to just be like, "Oh, there my guys go." Yes. Oh, do well. <laughs> Remember the plan. To each other. Mm -hmm. Remember the strategy, guys. <laughs> <laughs> just run into we talked about guys. this. Yeah, so, so, have you played other GBOH other than Chariots of Fire Day? I have SPQR, but I've never played it. Oh, yeah, you need to break that out. Well, I have Deluxe on pre-order, so. Nice. Why well, no, Deluxe yeah. is our, SPQR is our day. You mean Deluxe Alexander? No, I have SPQR. I have Deluxe SPQR on yes. a reprint, and I have oh, on the Alexander on, on uh, pre-order. Gotcha, yeah. Both of them are reprint pre-orders, so. Um, let's see. I don't know if I wrote any other notes for this. That, but yeah, that so I, running, was cool. I, I like, I like really the cool. fact that heavy infantry will just kind of jam into each other and then you get it like this kind of struggling, sweaty group of guys pounding on each other until one guy breaks and runs. So that was cool. And keep it clean, guys. That was completely a game review right there. <laughs> That's it, man. I, I thought maybe you were going to get moist. <laughs> no, no, no moistening. 
You know, and, and I, I, I was saying this the other night to Ralph. Nobody does Mark Walker better than Mark Walker. <laughs> you can't, you can't after touch all that the, After all the attempts we've made to imitate his style, he is the best at it. When you see the actual master in action, I might have been talking to John. He's, he does it. He, it's, he's a natural. So. Mm. It's upsetting. So, moistening. Yeah. I mean, I got to, I got to the point where the person moistened. Did anybody read past that to figure out why? Was there some kind of genetic defect with the person? <laughs> You're the only one reading it, so no. No, Jason, did you read it? No. Oh, you didn't read it? No. I, read it. I, I just saw that it was there. Actually, I got an email that it was available. Well, like, I guess the person was an assassin and they're in a bar and they're watching He's, the person's watching these targets, and then the person, the assassin, starts to moisten. Yeah. Is it? I guess it is. It, it's not moisten. It's moisten. Moisten. Yeah. Apparently, apparently they could breathe them to be perfect killer, except for that part. Yeah. Well, they felt like it was like then the, the assassin became angry because the assassin was now moist. <laughs> no, dude, it was weird. Uh, it was really cool. Yeah, I'm uncomfortable with you describing it. Oh, yeah. I know, I know. Don't, does it, uncomfortable bad, right? Not uncomfortable good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I have one other thing I wanted to talk about too. Uh, I had a conversation with my wife the other night, and uh, I like where this is going. Right, so um, it's not it's not going where you're going, you pervert. But uh, well, and, and, I, I haven't been having any conversations with my wife. We've been oh, yeah. busy. I'm sure, you have. They've just all been well. Yeah. Have, have you? And this might just be a comment about women in general, because my wife's come home with the kids, so I have to be a little uh, careful mm. about what even though I'm locked in my sanctuary. Um, garage, like yeah, or it, I will be in the garage soon. Uh, I would say this: if my wife was a fire captain, um, basically what would happen is they would respond to a fire, and my wife would be like, "Okay, let's all get out of the truck." Okay, so the house is on fire. Okay, so what are we going to do? Okay. Remember how we had that training like four months ago and Dave, you were upset and oh no, see, you're looking at me right now the way you used to look at me before when I was trying to talk to you. I don't, now I don't think you're paying attention to me. Um, but Jim said that about something and you got your feelings hurt and okay. Well, by, by the time they're done talking about everything, the, the house is like now burned down. Yeah. It's too like, late. It's right. like, can you just get to the point of the actual end of the story? Like, mm-hmm. does it have to be like, this person, and then Jenny said that she didn't like that, and so I said to her, and then she said to me, am I the only person who deals with that aspect of it? No. Well, but you forgot the best part, Dave. They saved the city money because they didn't spend any water on putting the fire out. Yeah, they're like, hey, we don't need the plan now because the house apparently is burned down to the ground <laughs> while you guys were out talking about yeah. that. I bought this $100 dress and it was on sale, so I saved $100. Wait, what? Yeah. Like, cause like, we had a conversation last night where I said to her, uh, she'd mentioned to me, like, our girls do dance, so she was like, oh, so I was talking to this other mom, and the mom said, well, I don't do the beauty pageant thing with my girls. We're not going that route. I'm like, what the fuck does that even mean? Like, we're not doing beauty pageants. They're in dance class. So she goes, well, that's what she said. I said, tell me exactly what she said, because if I meet that mom, I want to say something to her. So I need to know what she said. So she goes, well, we were sitting outside. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't ask where you were. And that's the time of day. What did she say? And she goes, well, we were there. And you know how sometimes when they pull up before dance class, I'm like, can you not just tell me literally what the, can we just skip to the part? What did she (laughs) say? 
I told her, I said, I said, yes. this is hilarious. I said, you cannot do it. You cannot just tell me the words. Yeah. Right. So to answer your question, Dave, yes, you're the only one that ever has to deal with that. <laughs> My wife is baking cake. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but it sounded like she was beating it out of the pan with a hammer. Well, you know, we have the, the fancy stand mixer. She had to get all the yeah. batter out. I'm like she was chopping something up. I'm like, what the hell do you chop up to put in a cake? She was banging it. Oh, nuts and fruit and whatever. Kind of like there was some frustration involved. But oh, that there might be. Possible. Yeah. Cannot so, be yeah, possible. Cannot be possible. I've so been able saying, to take out my frustration in other ways. So. <laughs> you're saying it's a pound, Jason. Yeah. Exactly. And, and Jason, you're confirmed, right? You're like good to go. You've done, done all your tests after your procedure. Yep. And you're ready to go. Yep. Flying so you had to, you had to do the sample. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the the woman at the place is very rude. Like I don't want to be here any more than you want me here. You don't, don't need to be rude to me. Don't you just have to deliver it to them? No, I have to go in and sit in a room. See, they gave me a paper bag with a little vial in it. Yeah, like, but then they die like right away. No, no, but okay. So oh, the, yeah, because yours—they just want to make sure there aren't any living. Mine have to be living. So well, they no, need, but they need fresh. But, but but they don't want mine to die either. I mean, if mine die and I'm actually not, but what happens is um, you've got to you've got to you've got to do the sample, right, yep. to prove that you're not active yep. that you don't have. So basically, backstory: we had out of vasectomy, so you have to do a sample, and you obviously want to know that you're not producing sperm. So I got to say, like the act of producing the sperm is a lot more fun when nobody knows you're doing it. Like when, like yeah, my, when an entire office of women know. When I can no, but when I can be sneaky, <laughs> more fun. Nope. Everybody. <laughs> when, I, when I have to be like, okay, my wife's like, hey, when are you gonna do that? You need to oh, do that geez. thing, and I'm like, I'm like, all right. Well, I said you need to clear the whole house out. Yeah. Like there can't be anyone home. I've got two girls. Uh, everybody has to be gone. Yeah. And stop asking me about it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you go to do the the sample. You produce the sample, and the thing they give you is like a big giant jar mm-hmm. so i'm looking at the jar and i'm like well it doesn't look very impressive in the jar <laughs> like they couldn't give you a little test tube that, yeah. or a shot glass that would, make it, that would at least make it look like there was more there yeah so i thought well, this looks much better all over a chest i thought maybe <laughs> i should do one more sample just to build up the numbers so it looks better in the jar but then it said I had it said I had to get it to the place in an hour and a half, yeah. and I'm like, I don't think I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> I said I don't think I have the legs to do that. Oh, that's funny. Because I'm like, I cannot wait an hour. <laughs> yeah. So, I, uh... so I had to put it in a paper bag, take it down there. I, the lady's there at a, like a basically a, like a walk-in window at the mm-hmm. lab. I hand it to her. She looks at me and she's like, Oh, I know what the fuck yeah. this is. <laughs> she's like, you perv. And mine, mine is like a secluded room with like a big leather recliner, which is just kind of gross. And they, they have a, a cabinet labeled resources. <laughs> I'm like, sweet, you know, like, I'm gonna, resources. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a look. It's all like 10 year old Playboy magazines. So what's in there? Like reach for the galaxy and <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's just Playboy. Like this, what am what am I supposed to do with this? That's gross. Yeah. Can you even get the pages apart? I mean, it's like yeah. you're like yeah. I'm just gonna look. I at didn't the touch them. I just took a picture and sent it to my wife and said, "This is all they gave me to work with." Wow. 
Yeah, see, I don't, I think, like with us, they don't make you go in. You just deliver it. Yeah, we had to go in. And it's like very, you can't use any lubrication, even saliva. It's like, um, very that is, specific. That is, that is pretty weird. To very specific. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's very weird. And then this rude lady is like reading it to me. I just, I can read. Just get out of the room, please. I don't want to ever see you again. Okay, hold on. So the, the, the instructions they gave you said, you could not use saliva? Yep. How the hell would you use saliva? As lubrication. What, do you spit in your hand? Yeah. Oh, that's gross. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't have any help. It's very specific about that. No one can help you produce a sample. And it has to be, you know, exact times and hmm. two to five day window before. It's ridiculous. What's a two to five day window before? So Listen. you can't have produced a, a, another sample uh, within two days and not later than five days. Wow. Yeah, very, very specific. Wow. It sounds um, way this much like work. It, yes, spit, it takes all the, the fun out of it. I gotta say, the spit thing, that really threw me for a <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's just too much. <laughs> that's just too much. So, <laughs> so, but you have to do it. You have to. So at some point, especially for lady, me, like, does, does it, is there a light end, you, is there a light you end, flick? I saw that they, they cut. I, I saw the pieces that they cut out. Cause I was, he showed me like, look, this is no longer there. It's not connected. So <laughs> I could produce a sample, but it's like, well, there's not a route. I can't take the off ramp anymore. So I'm stuck <laughs> on the freeway. Um, but, right, but so now this, I, I need to know. Jason, let me ask this much. Um, at some point does she like, is she like, when does she knock on the door? Like, what happens if you're in there for two hours? Uh, you, there's a doorbell. You ring the doorbell, and then 20 minutes later, she comes and is grumpy again. No, no, yeah. but what if, what if it takes a long time? At then some it point, takes a long like, time. are they like, are you done? Are I, they going to check on you? I, I would assume at some point they would. But we're closing, we're closing down for the day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to go home, but you got to get that. So, the hell so out of you here. managed, but you managed to produce under those conditions. Uh, yes, I have a smartphone. How did you do it? Oh, no, I don't want to know. Oh no! You're, you're, you're. I'll say this: you're a better man than me. There's no way I could have produced under those conditions. So that's a lot of pressure. I don't have enough fantasies in my mind to produce that. <laughs> yeah. Wow! What do you think of that, Mitch? I'm thinking the podcast should have stopped about 15 minutes ago. <laughs> you were like, oh, it was going pretty smooth. No real troubles. <laughs> No, no, no. I've, I've been there, been through that, and yeah, I'm done. <laughs> All right. All right. That's we had our job. I'm sure, uh, reviewers will love this too, so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think, Dave, you're gonna get a lot of good fan mail. Yeah, and, and basically, like, if you have a negative review of the podcast, just stop listening to the yeah, thing. Yeah, just, yeah. Just, mm-hmm. I don't understand. That's very strange. I mean, we tell you, it sucks. It's horrible podcast. Right, we don't want new good. listeners. Listening. We, yeah. we right. discourage listening. Absolutely. It's a very select audience, and you're not in it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Just listening. We need less listeners, not more listeners. <laughs> Wait. Oh. It would be cheaper. Right. Well, that's all, that's, that's all I have, boys. Awesome. That's it. That's it. fun. Yeah. Are we done? I think so. All right, man. Put it up. Cool.
Visit us at http colon slash slash bardgamegeek.com slash guild slash one six six zero or contact us at advance after combat at gmail.com. How about my heavy breathing? Oh, that's all right. That's my favorite part.